you guys. My goodness, we got some stuff to talk about. So, first of all, wave at me if you can hear me. Ship, I see you. Can you hear me? Okay, folks are waving at me. Ship, unmute yourself. I can't hear you. And uh, Kingmaker should be joining us here momentarily. No, I'm here. <laughs> I don't know if I have laughed so much about something happening in court as I did today. I don't know how long that's been. I, I didn't get to watch most of it because I had stuff I was doing today. Um, and actually this evening also. But I was, you know, following it a little bit on the news and on Twitter. And I, it just is mind-boggling, that hearing. Chip, were you able to watch some of it? Uh, I, had it I had it open on my computer on Twitter. Mm. Um, I found a live stream. So I was able to sort of keep that open and then work in another yeah. screen. So yeah. I, I, I just sort of – it was kind of background noise. I – I probably paid more attention to Wade. I didn't actually realize when Willis came on. So I probably missed more than the first half of her. But uh picked up yeah, I didn't have to listen to her too long before I you know sort of got the got the gist. <laughs> right. Willis well Wade was the one Wade was the one who was really in jeopardy because of his yeah. answers under oath in the divorce case, which were, yeah. you know, counterfactual, as they say. Counterfactual, yes. <laughs> Alternate facts. <laughs> Ooh. All right, Kingmaker says he's ready, but he's uh, you're not. He's not in the, the speaker box yet. So let me see what's going on. Wow, that was just a wow, you guys. The whole thing. Yeah, you know, almost as much a wow is looking at some of the Twitter commentary by, you know, people on the other side of the yeah, spectrum like who are praising, praising her performance. Like she's you know, obviously like, telling the truth. No, dude, she's obviously lying. <laughs> Gee, <Manny. laughs> so. Well, and I tweeted this out. I, I was not expecting the, you know, uh, unable to perform defense <laughs> to the, uh, the uh, fair allegation. That was uh, spectacular. <laughs> Good grief. I was struck by the... There's King. My marriage was irretrievably broken in 2015. So for purposes of answering questions about my marriage, I simply answered them as if I was divorced in 2015. Right. Yeah, I know. Right. So uh, I was actually still married legally, but Hey, you know, <laughs> okay. But you know, our culture has gone that way. You this? Like people will say now, Oh, that's her, her ex, her ex that, you know, you see this in pop media all the time and it's like they're still married he's not her ex yet this, or, this they, or they were or they yes. were never or they were never married right it's just like hmm, okay yeah hey can you there can you hear us uh, i'm i'm here and and leslie did you notice i'll ask you because you're probably more astute at this than ship and i but that Fanny showed up in a pink 
dress, a yeah. hot pink dress. Hot pink dress. Hot, yeah. You know, uh, and it it's the mirror image of the hot pink dress that Miss, uh, what's her name, the um, uh, Romans lawyer, uh, wore at Monday's hearing. Oh. She wore a pink dress. Okay. And uh, so finally decided to match her today. Okay. Well, as I'm sure everyone knows, I'm of the view that women lawyers should be wearing suits, not dresses. So, but we probably shouldn't revive that controversy. <laughs> so, all right. Well, King, we were going to interview, I was going to interview you and Chip too, since he saw it. I, I didn't get to see most of it. I was just following a little bit of the play-by-play -play on Twitter. So <laughs> let's kind of start from the beginning. Can, can, then, can, before you ask me the first question, uh -huh. can I start with a old lawyer's war sure. tale? Sure, absolutely. War this stories is an are absolutely true a uh, verifiable war story <laughs> okay. from an ancient lawyer. Uh, back when I was much, much younger, uh, I was trying a, a massive uh, multi-party con civil construction case for the first time out of my uh, bailiwick. You know, first time out of state that I was doing a case. Mm. Okay. And um, many millions of dollars involved. I was really young. I was full of myself because I got. No. I got awarded this case <laughs> as the lead lawyer. Mm. And uh, the other side, one of the other defendants in the case, I was, I was a. a looking for a couple million dollars okay. for my client and in contract damages. And the other side put up an expert that had changed his expert report at the very last minute. Uh -huh. We didn't have time to depose him. Okay. So I was cross-examining this guy blind. On the fly. Right? On the On fly. The fly. Basically, right. basically he, he said, my, my damage claim should be cut, uh, into a third of what we were claiming. So I stood up to cross-examine him. His, his, his direct was very, very vague, very broad, mm. very general, not very specific. So I had no clue where he was coming from or what he, what the holes were. So I kind of thought I'm smarter than that dude because uh, <laughs> here I am in my first big case, so I must mm. be smarter than him. So I stood up and started crossing him. And I asked a couple of questions, uh, leading questions, and I got finally ended up with a answer, yes, but. And he, mm. he went down, he, 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 he articulated a rabbit trail, totally different from what I'd asked him. Right. So I, ch I launched down that rabbit trail. And when I got to the end of it, I got another yes, but <laughs> uh -huh. with us with a third rabbit trail. Right. And after about 10 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes of this, mm. the judge, the federal judge interjected, Mr. King, there are certain witnesses that we here in East Texas 
call tar baby witnesses. Oh. <laughs> they said, you hit them once and you bury your arm up to your elbow. <laughs> <laughs> and so you try to hit him again with the other hand and you bury your arm up to the mm -hmm. elbow and on and on. And he said, Mr. King, we're going to have a 10 minute recess. And we've come, when we come back, I want you to tell me whether you have any more questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and when we came back, I said, no more questions, Your Honor. <laughs> right. That's kind of what we saw today. Oh, wow. It's just unbelievable um, performance and so on so many levels and by the judge too, in a way. And I know people had a lot of questions about that. Like, why is the judge letting her do that? And, and is he going to let president Trump do that? The answer to that's going to be no. <laughs> so, but okay. So let's lay the, the foundation for people. The purpose of the hearing was what? It was to, um, uh, the judge had narrowed it, and, and the hearing today was pretty much limited to whether or not there was a conflict because of, of a personal and financial relationship between Fannie Willis and her lead prosecutor that she had appointed and hired as the uh, special prosecutor for the case, and he was more or less in charge of the whole thing. and. And that was the issue. Did that potential or actual conflict disqualify both of them from sitting on the case? And if so, did that conflict uh, require, one, uh, the DA's office in Fulton County to be taken off the case? And two, uh, whether the conflict was sufficient to require dismissal of all charges. And that was that's what is before the court. All right. And the judge took evidence on that today. Did they finish the evidence? No. We're going back tomorrow. <laughs> Great. Second birth, same as the first. All right. Um, okay. And this judge, we you've been watching him. Do you think it's likely that he'll rule at the end of the hearing from the bench, or will he take some time and then issue a written ruling? He is, he announced today that he is not going to rule from the bench. He's going to okay. take a little time and uh, probably write an opinion. Uh, okay. There, there. Uh, I'll give you my bottom line conclusion. Mm -hmm. Yep, that was my next uh, question. How does? Uh, what do you think? Is, it, let's start with that. We can work back to it. But go ahead. Yeah. He, he, uh, to require to, to find an actual conflict, he's got to make some uh, serious credibility calls. This per this witness lied. This witness did not, uh, etc. Uh, because both Fonnie Willis and her uh, boyfriend, her ex boyfriend, testified <laughs> that uh, they didn't have an affair going before he was hired it only happened after he came on after the case began and it's now finished so hmm. uh if How if, bad. He, if yeah they 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 broke up they last broke august. up they broke oh. up last august okay all uh, right well that interesting uh definition of words there finally testified that from a woman's standpoint 
They broke up last August because that's when she had the talk. From a man's standpoint, they broke up before that, maybe June, uh, apparently when she cut him off. Oh, when she stopped sleeping with him? That, that's okay. it. <laughs> yeah. So June to August, they broke up. Uh, there's been no con uh, contradictory testimony to that. Uh, so the issue is, does it's all their... Good. It's all yeah, good oh, it, now. They're not well, the issue is, does they're sleeping together throughout <laughs> most of the case and most of the grand jury investigation somehow taint this case because of a conflict. Right. And both a financial and a personal conflict. Right. Uh, and Now, and did, what was your takeaway? Did you think the evidence supported that they were, in fact sleeping together and by that i mean having sex not just well, being in they the admitted same room. both both of them admitted oh. to that yes okay yeah uh, there seems to be the, some question about his capability no well, no they both were admitted to that okay. uh the big issue was when did it start mm -hmm. uh but both admitted that at no later than uh february march april of 2022 it began Okay. Uh, so, so yes, they were sleeping together. They were traveling together. Uh, they were spending nights together. Uh, and, and they had a very romantic and sexual relationship. Okay. Uh, so did the judge say what he thought the potential bases for like the actual conflicts were both personal and financial? Judge did didn't comment that? on that, but, but he, okay. he, 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 he steered the evidence to mm -hmm. what he believed the issues on that were. Right. That's where I was were, going with that. Wait, what yeah. do you think the judge thinks the actual, the actual issues are? <laughs> well, the actual issues are, one, did they have a romantic relationship uh, that could be or might be a conflict? Uh, and two, did that relationship rise to the level of a financial benefit that she got from hiring her him as the one of the prosecutors. And there you have because her office is basically funding his employment or his income, right? Not only that, but he was taking her on trips. Right. So he's spending his income that she's funneling to him on her. Correct. And uh, so, right. let me jump in here, King, real quick. I think there's actually one more wrinkle to that, and that is his income goes up the more complex and extensive the indictment becomes. Right. So it's not in like a, a way, to have, like a, to have a to have a sprawl, <laughs> yeah, to have a sprawling, broadening, all-encompassing, wide-ranging RICO case with 19 defendants means he gets paid more. Chip, you and I came from the same place because I, I, that, that's been my main point all along. But nobody mm -hmm. on the defense is arguing that, and I didn't hear any hmm. evidence of that today. Okay. Well, maybe they haven't got to it yet. All right. So, so tell us. I saw some stuff early on. The defense got up right away, ready to go this morning, but there were witnesses that didn't show up for court or they came late? Uh, the, 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 uh, let me go back. Uh, Miss Merchant, uh, 
that's who uh, whose name I was escape escaping mm -hmm. me earlier. Miss Merchant. Now she's the, the lawyer for pink, one of the co-defendants, pink, pink right? dress lawyer for uh, uh, defendant Roman. She okay. had told the court on Monday, when, in response to a motion to quash by every witness in the inside the DA's office that she was trying to subpoena, she represented at to the court that. All these people know of, knew about this relationship. And uh, I can prove it. And the judge asked her, how can you prove it? Well, I can prove it with uh, Mr. Wade's former law partner. Uh, what's his name? Bradley. Right. Uh, and the judge says, okay, we'll put Bradley on first to lay a foundation for all this impeachment evidence uh, because unless you have something if you're not just totally fishing and making assertions without any evidence this is not going to go very far she she told the judge yeah I've got I've got one witness I've talked to uh, Bradley and he opens the door for everybody else so we get to the court today. Uh, they get to the court. I'm watching on TV. Uh, and she wants to put on another witness, Miss Yurti, who had worked in the DA's office and had owned a condominium. Uh, and when Miss Yurti got married or got engaged. She moved out and Miss Willis moved into. Is this the place that she's living where she doesn't know how much the That's rent is? That's it. Uh -huh. okay, okay, so so uh, Miss Yurti was going to be her first witness. She changed their order and she apologized to the judge that said, I didn't, I held back some of my, my evidence and I'm going to go this way and not with Mr. Bradley first. Well, Ms. Yurti wasn't there. So she so right. she had to call Bradley. And anyway. anyway okay. And now this this Ms. Yurti, she showed up later though. She right? did she show up late. later. But yeah. and because and fortunately for for Miss Merchant, because um, in trying to get Bradley to say what she had told the court he would testify to, it, it yeah. comes out that Bradley was uh, Wade's lawyer in the divorce case initially. Uh -huh. So he's so he was the he was the law partner. He was law partner and lawyer. lawyer in the case, and he's and he's testified. I have to plead when when she, he's asked about. Wade's relationship with Willis in the past, he says, I have to, I have to claim attorney-client privilege. <laughs> and he says, I represented Wade in the divorce, and I, and I knew this was coming, so I asked the Bar Association, and they told me right. I couldn't talk. I had, I had right. to say attorney-client privilege and you know, go to jail if necessary, but I'm, right. I can't answer. <laughs>
<laughs> so so okay. Miss Marchant was kind of hamstrung, and then it was announced yeah. that Miss Yurti had showed up. <laughs> okay. So Bradley's off, He's off the stand. Is he going to come back, or is that the end of him? Uh, he could come back, but I, I doubt it because she didn't. Nobody did any uh, examination of Wade after the scope of attorney-client privilege. Wait, wait, King. No. Wade was asked if all of his conversations with Bradley were about attorney-client matters, and, and Wade said no. Yeah, but that's, that he was the last that, question. He, they didn't go further. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't say where did the okay. attorney-client privilege start and where did it end and what was the scope. Nobody asked him that. Uh, but I think they can ask Wade. I think they can ask um, Bradley that. They're, to, they're to not going to get an answer. He's going to say, "He's going to say, I'm not. I can't answer." It's it's it's. He it's might answer privilege. some of those. They had a chance, but, but yeah. they had a chance, but they didn't ask him. Yeah. But anyway, Miss Yurt okay. takes a stand, and and she says they were good friends. She and and Fonnie Willis since college. And she owned this condo and lived in it uh, outside of Atlanta. And she, you know, was not only friends with Fonnie Willis, but saw her regularly. And to sum up, she said uh, they had a relationship. It was romantic. I could tell because they kissed, they hugged, they were affectionate to one another, and she admitted it to me. All of this was going on before November of 2021 when he was hired by the DA's office. She said it went back to 2019, right? Shortly, yeah. She, they, the two of them met. Willis and Wade met in, at a conference in October 2019, and she said it was shortly after that that it all began. Okay. So, and and nobody had anything to rebut that. All right, and that's what was one of my questions. Was there any cross of, of her? Was there any good impeachment of her? Uh, not really. No, nobody, nobody touched <laughs> her. Right. Okay. Uh, other other so, than to show that she did have a. A axe to grind was funny because she she was working at the DA's uh -huh. office, and at some point uh, a couple of years ago, she was told to either resign or she was going to be fired. So she turned in her resignation. Okay, so she's actually that makes her more credible. <laughs> 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 Great, poor Fanny. Okay, so. Who is representing? I mean, Willis isn't personally, rep, you know, she's a witness, right? So she's got a very good witness. Who from her office? Yeah, she's got a, a, a independent, outside the office, uh, similar to Wade. He's she's under contract. Uh, Miss Cole. Is she is she specifically engaged to defend this motion? And yeah, is that she's, it, she's defending the motion on behalf of the DA's office. Of the office. Right. Okay. All right. And but did Willis have her own lawyer there too? Or if not? she did, nobody spoke. Okay. So this 
Miss Cole is the one who was trying to quash Wade uh, Willis's subpoena. Correct. Yeah, and and was All doing right. a damn good job of arguing <laughs> why yeah, Miss Willis didn't have to take the stand. Uh, right. Young, uh, step back a minute. The rule is that when you subpoena somebody at the top of a governmental organization, like Secretary of State, like uh, head of the CIA, like head of the SEC, or like head of the Fulton County DA's office, uh, the general rule is you have to exhaust other avenues of getting your evidence, evidence because before this important those public people officials are so important, have they their don't time, have time wasted. Yeah, right, <laughs> right exactly. So, now, but I mean, usually that rule is suspended where the person ha clearly has personal. Nobody knowledge. said that. <laughs> nobody, right. nobody oh. argued that. And and so they uh, were. Mm -hmm. The DA's office was doing was uh, doing a bang up job of arguing that point, and this this was after. Miss Yurti and Mr. Wade both had testified. And they said, you know, Miss Willis has nothing to add. Mr. Wade was there. He can he can testify to right. all of it. There's nothing she has to add. Right. You don't need her. And in the middle of the argument, that's a good point, Bonnie actually. Wade right. walks into the courtroom and says, I want to testify. Up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so she has herself for a yes, client. Yeah. We all know and, how and, that goes. <laughs> and the camera zoomed in on her and she was mad as hell. <laughs> you could, you could. She's not going to take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to, her to speak her mind. Whether this was all pre-planned, I have no idea. Well, do you think, this is one of my questions, do you guys think she was watching it on the Absolutely. internet? Absolutely, she was watching this. Yes. She was. <laughs> Yes. So she watched her boyfriend make a total mess of it and her friend throw her under the bus. So she decided she had to go down there, straighten it out. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So, so Mr. Jerky, is that her name? Jerky? Y-E-A-R-T-I-E. -E, I think it's how you spell it. Okay, I'm not intentionally trying to mispronounce her name, people. I, I have trouble with names. So, Miss Yerke, she didn't testify very long, right? She was very short. Mr. Wade was yeah. long. And that was interesting. Very interesting. He's slippery as hell. Mm. Uh, the, 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 um, unfortunately, I, I, it, uh, here, I don't have much criticism about defense lawyers in other cases because you know you never know you you know you're on, you're on your feet you got a plan ahead yeah. of time and stuff. There is there was one part of his testimony that kind of got lost for a long time. It 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 wasn't until the second lawyer uh, came up. Came, uh, well, let me ask you. Let me ask you about that because I couldn't understand why was there why were there different lawyers? So, Miss Merchant Mer <laughs> yes. is is the primary defense lawyer who's conducting the examinations. But there were other defendants' lawyers asking questions. Too. Yeah, every defense lawyer who showed up uh, was mm -hmm. given a chance to to say something or ask questions. Mm -hmm. okay. so was I, I think it was. Yeah, it wasn't clear. Lawyer there. Yes. Yes. 
it wasn't clear who was representing who. That was part of the problem. You know, there nobody was giving. Well, the live stream I had, nobody was giving kind of like a a, a play by play. Who's this? Who's that? Merchant represents the movement, the, the defendant Roman, Roman, who who made the motion. The interesting okay. thing there is Roman is one of three, I think, three individuals. The grand jury did not recommend indicting, but she indicted him anyway. Oh, nice. That's the only reason he's in the case, and it's his lawyer. Now, I read a, I read a story, I think it was in the New Yorker just from the last couple of days, that said this information about Fannie Willis and Wade was not unknown among you know, lawyers in the courthouse. And in fact, there's another, yeah. there's another, there's another sprawling RICO case that's currently underway. Involved. It took like a year to pick a jury in this other case. A year to pick a jury. Um, and and one of the lawyers in that case, you know, gave a lot of on the record comments about this uh, in this in this profile or, or article. Um, but Trump, I, I believe it was Trump's lawyer King who was up second each time. Gilliland. I think was his no, name. No, he's not Trump's lawyer. Okay. Trump, uh, uh, Trump's lawyer came third. Okay, the third, third, right, right, and and that you know something I didn't hear at all. Didn't Trump's lawyer raise the issue? And maybe they put this off for a different proceeding. Raise the issue that her going to the church and essentially calling all the accusers racist. Yeah. You know, violated all kinds of ethical That's norms and, and yeah. is a grounds for disqualifying her because basically she's a prosecutor and to the jury pool, the broader jury pool in the community, she's saying the defendants are a bunch of racists. Yeah, well, the judge didn't want to hear that. Uh, there's some other issues raised in the motion that he didn't want to hear. He limited it to the conflict issue, this hearing. Now, Meaning he doesn't, he's not going to entertain those issues I, at all, or I he think wasn't going to entertain them at this hearing. In this hearing, he needs evidence on the conflict. I think he's thinking that those other issues can be decided on the papers. Okay. All right. So, of course, people know. I think that's, you know, fairly common and understandable that people would know about it. But not a lot of defense lawyers would raise it nonetheless, right? There are all kinds of lawyers, defense lawyers, who would be squeamish about raising this issue and not raise it. But this lawyer merchant is, by all everything I've seen and heard about her, is a very good defense lawyer. Isn't she currently like the president of the Georgia defense I, I think she is. And, and she has yeah. some skill that there was, uh, right. if I can be critical, uh, with all due respect to Miss Merchant, who I thought did a very good job considering, but there were a couple of things that I do criticize her for. And I'll explain one. Uh, she started off her cross of, of Nathan Wade with, the statement that she and he used to be friends. She oh. was a, a, a supporter of his campaign for judgeship that he lost. Uh, there's a, on the internet, there's a picture of her and her kid wearing Wade for judge t-shirts. Now, why would you bring that up? She, I mean, she brought that up to start almost to apologize mm -hmm. to him for the question mm -hmm. she's about to ask. And if she's got to do that, I think as a law, as a defense lawyer, she should have gone to the other co-defendant lawyers mm -hmm. right. and they should have gone to her 
and said, right. turn this over to somebody else. Because what you right. what needs else to be done examine here, him. Yeah. you need yeah. a rabid mad dog to go after Mr. Wade right. because of something I'm about to tell you. And and she she basically let it alone. And it took the second mm -hmm. lawyer to get up to even bring it up. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was weak. Uh, which is this. In the divorce proceeding uh, that Wade filed the day after he was hired by uh, the DA's office, uh, <laughs> his, his wife of 20-some-odd years uh, propounded interrogatories, which are for, for uh, lay people out there, that's that asked for written answers to written questions as a form of discovery. And they have to be, uh, in most places, they have to be verified, sworn to, or certified by a lawyer as being true and correct. Uh, and he, he was asked, whether during the marriage, including the period of the separation of the couple, have you ever had sexual relations? Who who did you have sexual relations with? Oh, the other wife. Than the wife. No. <laughs> and <who's, laughs> okay. he answered none. None. The, oh, wow. And the, these, well, these are interrogatories. Are where he was married, but he didn't consider himself yeah, married. Yeah, that, well, I'm, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm going there. <laughs> He's, he, they're dated like 2023. Uh, he answered none. And then she, then she asked, uh, please identify and produce all receipts mm. of, you know, bar tabs. Hotel room receipts, <laughs> Hotel uh, rooms. Uh, you know, dinner receipt, dinners, you know, uh, wh Red where cross, you have right, yeah. entertained <laughs> some other woman in, right. during the marriage or, in, or during the period of separation until the right. present. The word present right. is used. And he said mm -hmm. none. Oh, okay. So they had him in a flat line, and we know line. that because he because yeah. when this all got filed by Miss Merchant, he went back to the divorce case and filed an amendment to those two answers. Amended? Oh, he 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 updated his well, answers. Well, no, he, he amended the answers, <laughs> and instead of, instead of giving an answer, he pled privilege. Oh, he pled. The and, and the privilege okay. under, he cited as a statutory Georgia privilege that mm -hmm. that says a privilege against self-incrimination yeah. or something infam infamous, or scandalous, something that, you know, <laughs> embarrassing. You, you have a privilege not to disclose those things. So he, did, he, he cited the statute without saying, what it was that was the basis what for the privilege. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a divorce case, 
the question of adultery is totally relevant, right? That I assume that's still a grounds for divorce in in uh, and it, and it's a ground it's a it's a ground um, in the equitable division of the property. Right, it's a difference. Some places that's not true, and in, other places in Georgia it is. It is. So, so yeah, and and okay, then on on examination, they they he clarified that he was not asserting that privilege as attorney-client privilege. And then he even said he wasn't even really asserting that as to the second part, but that mm -hmm. it was just a general assertion of privacy because it had become yeah. his, because his divorce had become entangled so, in yeah. the public spectacle of this trial. <laughs> so he just decided that he was entitled to not have to answer any of those questions or Aww. out of out of privacy concerns that uh, you know I listened to that though and I thought that's not a that, thing that doesn't get you away from your previous answer of none well, you're not correct well, well, he, he had an answer for that one too Chip he said he said the the question was marriage and as far as I'm concerned <laughs> the marriage was over in 2015 when she had an the affair marriage had broken down so, Chip so we I mean, agreed you know. the marriage was over. Even but we hmm. we stayed together because of the kids. Uh, so hmm. so he, he was saying she had an she'd had an affair before already. He says that she denies it. Uh -huh. She but we hadn't heard right. that. That's not in evidence yet. But he said basically oh. the marriage is over in 2015. <laughs> so that that allowed me to say none to both answers. <laughs> I love but, this. But, this but is the, that well, wasn't the question. Mind, the question answer. wasn't <laughs> when you were married. The question it was through the, the present. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and it's problematic to, to lie in your case, but it really is problematic when you're a lawyer doing it. Oh, yeah. Right? It, like, it, it, just... <laughs> that, that right there was a barn door that was opened wide as it can get. For a lawyer <laughs> to jump into issues like, are right, what's your definition of marriage? What's the legal definition of marriage? Right. <laughs> if if a man and woman oh, get goodness. married and decide to live at part, are they married? Is that a marriage? And and you know right. you can go down mm -hmm. all kinds of you can you can twist right. him because even if he's saying that she condoned it, okay, but that's still a point of proof. It's, it's, it's a marriage. It's, the other they're married. Right. Exactly. They are married. Right. He could not have legally married yeah. anybody else in the law recognized right. that exactly. marriage until there was a divorce. And there hasn't been one yet, by the way. Right. There hasn't been a divorce yet. Right. So, right. So, so folks know, like, even if they had agreed, okay, we're going to see other people, they can have that agreement but that doesn't mean that her lawyers aren't entitled to explore this issue for purposes of the divorce, right? So, like, it, you just it, can't it, decide. It's, it's I don't have only, to answer these questions. It, it's, <laughs> Leslie, it's, it's not only can they have a right to explore it. He didn't object to the question as being irrelevant. He just answered it <laughs> right. falsely. He just said no. <laughs> he said none. <laughs> he, just, he just gave a false You know, answer. <laughs> and, and the question is, well, how is the answer none <laughs> you know, in any way embarrassing or right. threatening of any way or right. even yeah. not pri even private. Why is none yeah. private? <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. Well, so and some of this was being reported, but what wasn't being reported was things like and what was the judge's reaction to did the judge show any no, reaction? He to did the not. Fact that this lawyer obviously he, lied. He, in his he, he knows Wade lied. Yes. 
He knows mm-hmm. Wade lied. He knows Wade's excuse for lying was lame. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, any every lawyer in the courtroom and particularly the judge knew he was lying. You know, something I, uh, when I've got a client who I think is going to testify or somehow, you know, trying to, you know, uh, just, uh, uh, we're trying to come to an agreement on how we're going to approach the case. The one thing I always say is, you know what, there is no benefit to denying the obvious. Right. All it does is, it, it, not only do you still lose, you right. now have hurt your credibility. Well, and now he, you lose on issues you're not, you wouldn't have lost on because yeah, he should have just said lying ass. <laughs> yeah, he should have just said it was an untruthful answer. I was having an affair with Miss Willis. Then he and stuck with having made an untruthful know. answer. <laughs> right. right, he stuck with having made an untruthful answer, but the but he still is intact for yeah. answers to come. But you know, it's like. You so clearly lied here, and you won't even admit you lied here. Right. How do I credit anything you say after this? Because well, a judge might easily find that it was, you know, he understood he lied in the divorce proceeding, but has he lied to this judge having anything to do with this case? It, it, right. Why limit it to that? He is trying to put people in jail for lying right. to courts. He. Well, he yeah. lied to a court, <laughs> black no, no, no. and white. He lied to a court, and he's trying to get out of it by saying, "No, I didn't lie. I just tried to mislead everybody." Well, but that doesn't go to the conflict of interest. No, it doesn't right? go to that the conflict of interest. But it it, yeah. it it proves it, 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 up actually that there's a relationship. I disagree. It does yeah. go to the conflict of interest because if you've got somebody who is just as guilty as the people you're trying to put in jail, trying to prosecute them. You have to step aside. You have to step aside because it's going to come out. Well, you should if you had any morals, but these people don't have ethics require you to step aside (laughs) because it hurts your case. We could probably debate that. Well, but nobody's going to question the prosecutor about his ethical conduct in the trial, right? So the conflict of interest really is that she's getting personal benefit from the money that she's giving to him. But this is one thing we didn't pin down. What's the other conflict of interest because of the relationship, right? Is it because her office was just couldn't handle the case and it's supposed to be independent? Because if she was having an affair with one of the lawyers in her office and her office was prosecuting the case, that's not a conflict of interest. I, 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 I go back to what Ship said, uh, the the conflict has to do with rewarding her lover with a hugely lucrative contract that becomes more lucrative the more defendants you name the more complex the case is the rico versus a simple false statement case right so we're all, we're all on three on the same page with that which is that the money funneling money to him that she then benefits by because, and sending it to him because he's her paramour, that's a conflict of interest. But the relationship itself is not a conflict per se, right? If he was her employee and not getting any money, it wouldn't make any difference. 
right? Yeah, yeah. Let's just let let's alter the facts a little. Just say he's just an employee. He's just a, a prosecutor in the office. He's just a line prosecutor, and, and, right? And all all she did was give him the plum assignment, but didn't create any kind of financial benefit in how he carries it out, as as is the case with the contracts. You know, right. these contracts. If you look at the contracts, and and I had I had written about them, but never published. But you know. They had like a an annual cap, uh, you know. They they the contract. There's like three or four different contracts. I I don't know that the last one was actually in evidence, but the first one was for like a 12 month period, for thirty thousand a month, so over 12 months. So it was capped at 360, and then he got an extension for like eight months, and then he got another extension for like 10 months. So each one, I can't remember if each one went up a little bit, but I seem to think they did. So you know. It calls into question, okay, is the continuing relationship responsible for him continually the getting additional? And, yeah, yeah. Right. Is, is, the, is, the, is the compensation, is the amount of compensation going up? Is the term of the contract being extended? Is any of that influenced by the personal relationship that is undisclosed? You know, right. that, that'd be a different thing if it was all above board and disclosed and everybody knew. That'd be one thing, but this is all, you know, this is all hidden until it, until it's. What I have been able to understand is why is it contracted out in the first place? Was there a manpower, manpower issue? That's clearly what she said. The office was insufficiently staffed. And actually this came up today. King, remember there was a testimony about the contract actually just brought him into work on corruption matters and not any specific case. That's what the contract said, but uh, there were two Uh other contracts that, uh, have raised questions in my mind and I have not heard an answer yet. Uh, both of his law partners had contracts too. So she's funneling money work to his firm because he's her boyfriend. Okay, this is this is a problem. But I'm trying to understand how the disqualification works. One, then, one way it could work is this cash business. If she's if she and he are telling the truth about the cash reimbursements, <laughs> that's a big if. But okay, if they're yeah. tra- telling the truth, as I appreciate it, it it was the firm, the three person firm, whose credit card he was using to pay the travel costs. Am I right or wrong, Chip? It sounded that way. It sounded like his, it was his business. Credit card. Now they didn't. I didn't think make it super clear whether that meant it was a card that the firm was the backer on, or it was just a personal credit card that he uh, used uh, for business. Well, let, let's, right? As I as I understood it, as, as I understood it, they were they were at one point he said they were actually listed as a partnership with the state of Georgia, but more recently they are simply three solo practitioners operating under a single banner. But that wasn't the case that, when they first got this deal. Uh, I don't I'm think not that sure was the case if, when they were traveling. Right. In fact, if you look at some of his invoices, and I think, I don't know if this came up today or not, but I, when I looked at the invoices, there was the, the one of the first uh, public commentaries about the invoice was, was billing for 24 hours in a single day. My first reaction, <laughs> well, my first reaction was that's more than one person. And in fact, there are interests on that invoice that talk about the prosecution team doing xyz so, so my paralegals and associate probably or or right. the three or the three lawyers so, all right. billing an eight-hour day for 24 hours so let let but 
let's assume that it was a firm that was getting paid, the firm that was paying the expenses. And Nathan is being reimbursed in cash 100% of the expenses. He has just stolen money right, from he his might, partner. He might be stealing money from his he, firm. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Right, that could certainly be. But it was seemed clear as mud to me whose credit card it actually was. And this is the problem with a lot of state court cases, folks, is that the record is really muddy. I clerked for a state court appellate judge, and the record would be really bad sometimes because people are totally not clear about what they're talking about. Well, well you he, the... he testified that it was his card his bank statements that he gave to his accountant to do his right. taxes with, she she asked him extensively about whether he had ever used a card in the name of one of the other two lawyers, and he categorically denied it. Never, right. so does never that make used it, it. A business card or just his personal card? I, I, I think it's personal card. It, no, no. I think it's his business card for his own solo practice, which was just like like I don't like he called it a PC. I think like a professional corporation. PC. Mm, yeah, you know, similar to maybe like an LLC in other states where you have, you have, uh, uh, it's really it's it's an association in fact, but the members are separate legal entities. That's how I heard him. That's that's what I understand him saying is is my my law practice is my law practice. I receive revenue because he said when they would get a check, they would split it up three ways. Okay, so they're taking in the revenue separately, each of them. Correct. The, the checks came to the firm, and then the three the three individual lawyers divided the checks three ways. Okay, if that's the case, right, so then we, we never heard of his share of his partner's money. Yeah, I don't think it. Yeah, I don't think it holds up, King. I think you're right. I, I think if they had separate contracts, his the contract in his name was the one paying thirty grand a month. That's in his name. That's not in the name of, of, you know, if they had separate contacts, which is what I heard the testimony to be too, that they had their own separate contracts. What was the amount of those contracts and how were they paid and where did that money go? I did not hear that dealt with. Today. I didn't either. And, and it, 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 it's a big question mark for me. Uh, uh, I blame the defense lawyers for not making that clear. Who got what? And who paid what out of whose pocket? Well, you can see well, where the trial judge might not be wild about getting into all of that. Yeah, but I, I think it all got, as, as we all know, and I think we're getting to next, I think it all got sidetracked <laughs> when he said, well, she would pay me back in cash. It's like, right. oh, okay, right. we're now, right. we've, we have just taken an off-ramp onto a different freeway. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now, can I tell can I tell a brief war story yes. on, oh, yeah, on, on one of my one of my this is this is like I had only been in AOC like four or five years. The bankruptcy fraud case. I'll try to get through the facts fast. Bankruptcy fraud case. The defendant bankrupted his company to cheat his ex-wife out of any, you know, uh, spousal support yeah. by, by what bankrupting a, what, his company. What a great guy. Yeah. So so miraculously, though, just ahead of bankrupting his company, his sister buys a house that he then rents from his sister. Mm -hmm. The down payment on the house is $70,000. 
the sister doesn't have a pot to piss in. So where she came up with seventy thousand dollars becomes an interesting or uh, an mm-hmm. interesting point in the in the bankruptcy fraud trial. Because my contention is it was his money. He gave it to her. She bought the house in her name. It actually belongs to him. He rented it, you know, for a nominal amount from her. Blah blah blah. That was you know, all part of the bankruptcy fraud that had many facets. But this was an interesting one. So as I'm going through all the paperwork, I realized that the that the that the down that the deposit was $70,000 and that a month before she closed, she made a $70,000 cash deposit in her own bank account. And so the question is, where'd that $70,000 come from? Yeah, it's $70,000. She couldn't remember the source of the money. And then she couldn't, she couldn't remember that it was a, now this was like several years earlier. She couldn't remember that it was cash. She, you know, she just she she could not identify the transaction in any way in her memory. So I had we're kind of thinking this through, and I told the agent. I just had this moment. I told the agent, you know what? <laughs> Here's I, I went to my own bank. I took out seven hundred dollars in one hundred dollar bills and two hundred dollar bills, and I took six ninety eight ones and put a hundred dollar bill on each side and put a rubber band around it. <laughs> Okay. It's like eight inches tall. Okay. I, did, I, did, I didn't use it in the trial. I had it in a box uh-huh. and used it and used it in closing argument and just pulled oh, it out of the box and showed the jurors, would any of you have forgotten making a bank deposit that looked like this? Right. That looked the like jurors that. started laughing. <laughs> That right. that may have been one of my most ingenious little off the cuff things ever done in trial. <laughs> right, right. It, it illuminates the point. With the yeah. right. So yes. so when I'm hearing this, when I'm hearing this testimony today about she's giving them all these reimbursements in cash, it's like this doesn't end well. This is not a gambit that they should have thought they could pull. I mean, I'm seriously, how, how long did you spend working this story up together? Because if they went on trips, it's one thing if you're going out with your boo and you're getting dinner one night and he's getting it the next, right? Okay. But these are some serious trips. They went to Nepal, right? Uh, okay. So she gave him five grand in cash for hotels and airplane tickets and stuff. That, 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 was, that, that was her testimony multiple times. I guess at one point somebody said they were going somewhere like every two months. I mean, that's okay. not believable on its face. For a period, it was every month. Yeah. Uh, but she, she tried to save herself by describing a hoard of cash she kept in her house all the time. Because that's what her father had advised her to do for a safety net. Uh, all the time she had tax liens out. She owed, you know, owed money. She didn't have much coming in after her campaign. And then somewhere along the line, she dropped that, well, I had some money left over for my campaign. So that was the cash. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just the, the the complete devil may care way that she plopped that fact out was astonishing to me. Just oh yeah, that's that with no thought about whether or not maybe that's a problem actually. 
you know, I, I wonder how many people decided to open up investigations on her today. What do we think? The- yeah. uh, state of Georgia, I, I think probably there's somebody in the AG's office that got a memo right. uh, that said, you know, track this testimony and then, you know, start thinking about where this might go. Is there um, a campaign? I, a finance problem there. IRS would certainly seem to be interested, I would think. Well, yeah, no, part of her, you know, part of her, you know, wasn't just the campaign thing. That was one thing. But she also made comments. Yeah. And I can certainly, I think everybody can sort of imagine these kind of circumstances. You go to the ATM, you get 300, 400, 500, whatever. Yeah, and she would say she would take cash, you know, when she would go buy groceries, she would take cash back. And, and right. so... You know, you can imagine over time if you really, and I know people like this. I know people that just prefer to have several thousand dollars cash available. Yeah, you want to go buy something I for know cash. You want sitting at this table right yeah. here with me. Yeah, me, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but. so it happens. It happens. So, I mean, right. it's not unheard of. No, of um, course not. But, but I think what we're gonna see is we're maybe going to see some post-testimony briefing where, based upon this testimony, the, 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 the defense lawyers are going to go back and start totaling up how much that would have been. Right. And see, that's what I'm saying. Okay, it's one thing to have a hoard of cash because you're afraid if there's a power outage and I need to go to the gas station and it doesn't work. If you need cash for emergency purposes or you're a prepper, right? You got cash on hand. That's one thing. But once you start spending it, you have to keep either replenishing it, right? Or, or something else. So where is she getting all that cash? Well, let's let's also, let's not, let's, let's, let's be fair in the sense that she is a single, you know, professional six figure income. Right. You know, you would think she's got a modest amount of monthly expenses. So she is going to accumulate some money. So, but, but, the idea that you, you, the point you made is a good one that if you are, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 to, to reimburse this other individual for these, you, you're continually going to the bank saying, I need right. another $5,000 exactly. in hundreds? On a continuous basis. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, I want to add to that the, the issue that the judge articulated here. It's not only do you have an actual conflict, but whether there's an appearance of conflict. So appearance-wise, you have boyfriend paying for all the trips with no documentation of any reimbursement. None. Just her word against the world. the judge could easily say that's an appearance of conflict. Right. Because is the public just supposed to swallow that? That, you know, oh, we're just going to take her word for it? I mean, some people would. Some people would say, well, she said that and there's no proof on the other side. Although, as I often have to remind people, the fact that there's no proof of the opposite doesn't prove the thing that you're trying to prove. (laughs) Um, But, you know... I don't understand how the question that ship is identified hasn't come up more front and center because it's, it would be one thing if it was a small amount of money 
right? And she gave him this contract and, and they were also going on trips. But it's a lot of money on these contracts. And so, uh, you know, why is, there just seemed to be no thought and consideration given to the fact of this is an enormous case and she's basically sweetheart dealed it to her boyfriend and now they're trying to act like there's no problem there. I mean, it, I don't know, but I couldn't see the judge's reaction. So, uh, King, what do you think? Is is he leaning one way or the other? And this leads to, people were asking this question a lot today. Why did he let her behave so badly on the witness stand? Uh, he seems to be that type of judge. Mm-hmm, uh, he does. From what I've observed in other hearings, he he is very deferential to the lawyers. Um, he puts up with a lot. He, he, right. He's letting them try their case yeah. and yeah. doing his job. They're doing theirs. And he, he's smart yeah. he, and he knows his law. Uh, and he, he did, he did emphasize, emphasize that it's not only an actual conflict, but appearance of conflict that he's going to look at. So, uh, he, mm-hmm. he just, he, he, maybe it's some deference to her, uh, because she's the DA, uh, she he warned her a couple of times to cut it out, uh, but he but right. that's all he did. Uh, he would have he would yeah, have done I, a lot more if there'd have been a jury, right? I think we all agree. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I think is at play here, and I don't know where I read this today, but he's up for re-election. Is he? And his and and the and the time for opposition or for um, opposing candidates to file has not yet closed. Okay. And so I think, you know, they have the same pool of voters. Mm -hmm. And so it may be, you know, he, you know, I postulated today online that he's, you know, when a judge is already inclined to rule against somebody to protect his record, he doesn't cut them off. Let him right, say whatever they want. Get, that. He's letting it. her play like a fool because it's not helping him, her with him. He's going to let her put her oh. nonsense on the record, and then he's going to rule how he's going to rule. So. And and he's going to say, he, I, I, I let you say everything you wanted to All say. Right. I didn't cut you exactly. off. I didn't limit you. I didn't stop you. And you made the best record you could make, so there's no basis <laughs> to say, you know, right. I somehow, you know, conducted an unfair proceeding with respect to you. So, right. so I think that's part of it, but I also think he's he himself, knowing that this is being televised, when I think it's a great example of why, you know, trial proceedings should not be televised because you get witnesses. She's not playing just to him; she's playing to the television. Right. Um, uh, so, so uh, I think that's a little bit maybe in the back of his mind is that you know I'm not going to antagonize unnecessarily voters who are sympathetic to her, I'm going to let her have her say. Right. But because of that, he, he's to... not going to call her a liar. He's not going to find that she lied about the case. You, do you think he, he's going to find that Wade lied? He can easily find that Wade lied, yes. As, as, but but maybe his... he won't, though, really, yeah, right? No, not after the... At this point, they've admitted the relationship and... Yeah, yeah. The, the, Wade lied with the false filing in his divorce case. There's no way around that. Uh, as to the cash reimbursement, 
uh, if he's any any way politically inclined, he cannot find that Fanny and Wade lied about that. Was there any discussion about <coughs> whether there was a lack of truthfulness in any of the pleadings before this judge? Wasn't there a declaration about their relationship? I wonder yeah. if that was probably The issue there is when did it start? When did it start, right. Yeah, they they both said it started after he signed his contract, shortly after in in early 2022. I think the contract was signed November 2021, and it started in early November or in early 2022. But the 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 woman who testified first said no that she was confident they were involved as early as 2019. He he could easily dodge that question with the appearance of conflict finding. Right. And, I, I, and I agree, and I think that's why he has seeded his comments with that point. Is is I think a, a good point that was made a few minutes ago was the idea that even taking at face value is true the claim that cash reimbursements were were made for her share of the travel expenses. Not being able to document that in other way is creates a perception in the public's mind that there is something not right here. And and on that basis, and and I think the other thing he could get to, I haven't heard anybody say this explicitly, and I don't know if he will, but he could certainly say, look, if this case is as factually justified and compelling as the Fulton County DA says it is, then why can't the Cobb County DA just as effectively prosecute it? That, that's okay. a great point. Uh, 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 the, the strength of the case should not depend upon who's the prosecutor. Which right, typically it doesn't depend on that. Typically it depends on the facts. So, well, you know, the way the judge was letting her go on today, I think is problematic and and is problematic for the system of justice, just yeah, overall. I also think that it is not fair to the lawyer asking questions. A, a number of the responses that Fannie Willis gave were totally inappropriate responses for a witness. The witnesses don't get to question the lawyers. <laughs> That's not how that works. Right. You don't get to raise your own objections to the questions that you're being asked and pontificate the way that she was doing. And although I understand that a judge is maybe thinking, well, you can sit there and act like a fool if you want to. There's no jury in the box. And so I'm taking that all into account. But I think it does a disservice to the lawyers before the judge for the judges to tolerate that. I would not tolerate that if I were a judge. If I were a judge, I agree with you 100 percent, but uh, I've been in state courts. I've been before elected judges, yeah. and there are uh, motivations, I'll call it, that lead to what you saw today. It, it, was, it, it, it right. was not the best legal proceeding. But from an entertainment standpoint, it was fascinating. <laughs> it was fascinating, yeah. I know. Well, state court is where the entertainment is at. The federal courts are, are boring by contrast, for sure. 
though. I, I had a case years ago in a rural county in Maryland where my client had been indicted basically for accusing. <laughs> he, he was representing some citizens on a on a claim against a local professional. And this local professional happened to be a friend of the district attorney. They don't call them that in Maryland. They're called uh, state's attorneys. But and this guy happened to be friends with the state's attorney. And so he didn't like getting this letter from this lawyer. It was a settlement demand, right? Pre, a pre-filing settlement demand. So he went to his buddy, the state's attorney, and said, you know, this lawyer's haranguing me. And so the state's attorney indicted the lawyer for extortion, for sending a pre-trial settlement demand. Uh and this, the lawyer was well-liked by the judges in this community, but no lawyer in that county would defend this lawyer in this criminal case, in this totally trumped-up, ridiculous charge. So I had been on the other side of a case against this lawyer, um, and he, he came to me and said, hey, remember me? We had this case years ago. Would you defend me? So I said, sure. So I went down to defend him. And it was totally just personal bias. The prosecutor literally just didn't like it that this lawyer was was making a demand on this other guy. So I filed, there's good law in this in Maryland on, on this conflict question. So I filed a motion. We went down, we were having a hearing and the, the office defended the, the charge. Um, and we started having a hearing and the judge who was an old, uh, very experienced judge, he sat up there and he listened to the opening statements. And um, after he listened to both sides opening statements, he said, well, I think we're going to take a break now and go and have some lunch. And then when we get back, let's see if it really still makes sense to put on any evidence in this case. And this was basically him telling the other side, you don't, she's got you dead to rights. You don't want her to start calling witnesses. <laughs> right. So, but they didn't take the hint. So we went to lunch. I tried to work it out with them. That didn't work. So we come back after lunch and I'm getting ready to call my first witness. And the judge is like, wait a minute, we're calling witnesses. And I said, well, your honor, I couldn't work it out with them. So he said, counsel, come back into chambers with me. So we all trooped back into chambers. We get back there and the judge starts talking about what, how the Baltimore Orioles are doing this year and how nice the weather's been and all of this stuff, right? I'm waiting to see where he's going with this. Finally, he gets around to talking to these two idiots and he says to them, you don't want me to rule on her motion. You don't even want me to let her put on evidence. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back out there in five minutes and you're going to announce that you have decided that in the interest of public transparency, you're going to ask the state's the uh, the state attorney general, uh, whose office is in Baltimore, to come in on this case and take it over from your office. And they were like, "We are," and he was like, "Yeah, that that I think that's what we're going to do." <laughs> so we went back out onto the record, and that's what they had announced, you know, to the judge, like it was all their own idea that that's what they were going to do. And so I'm looking at this case in Georgia thinking, this is how this goes in state court sometimes, right? It's just local people doing stuff that they have no business doing that don't follow any of the rules. And every judge in the courthouse I was in had recused themselves from that case. So it was a judge from another county had had to come because they were all afraid to stand up to this prosecutor. Every single lawyer, every single judge in that courthouse. 
And after the hearing ended, a bunch of local lawyers came up to me because I wasn't from that county either, came up to me and said, thank you for taking this case because, you know, we, we were all just like, we, we're all terrorized by this state's attorney down here. So I was looking at this today thinking this looks very familiar to me. Um, but it was object lesson, I think, for the nation to see, you know, elected local prosecutor can be a problem. Well, and then now combine, you know, combine her presence, her agitation, her mannerism, combine that with the grand jury four person that we saw, the grand jury four person who gave the the interview and yeah. And then think to yourself, so this is, these are the two leading lights behind the decision to indict the former president. Yeah. This is justice in the courts here. Okay. Yeah, it's totally not. Well, all right, King, what what's going to happen now? Uh, start again tomorrow at 9? Tomorrow at 9. Uh, the only witness I know of is, who's coming is Fani's father. I expect he's going to talk about oh. cash stashed away. <laughs> How he told her. Be sure you always keep $32,000. Uh, yeah. And I think the, the lawyers are gathering together to get together uh, to put together uh, a a package or a summary of payments bills that's you know the, the financial part of this uh beyond that right. i'm not sure who we're going to hear from um I, I, well, then you'll get some closing I, arguments i will then. say this I'm, i've noticed in the briefs that were filed that uh the state is citing and emphasizing case law that says it's not a conflict if there's no financial interest in a conviction. And they said, no matter who you believe here, Judge, there's no financial interest in a conviction. Uh, My argument against that, if I were defending it, and I haven't seen this written anywhere, uh, but it may, it may come, would be this. Uh, That conviction rule uh, is really broader and uh, the, the true statement of the rule is a financial interest in the outcome of any proceeding. Um, uh, well, that seems like old case law that probably really relates to like bribing prosecutors, right? right? It, um, that, that yes, but but uh, here there's another element. You have two grand jury proceedings, and as Ship pointed out earlier, the outcome of each of them was more and more complex, more and more defendants, more and more novel legal theories to prosecute somebody. Uh, so to the extent that both, to me, both a, Ronnie and, oh, and her boyfriend were motivated financially to keep this thing bigger and longer. 
Right. That's my point. Is that it, this is a different kind of conflict than the kind of conflict that that case law is talking about? It, it, but it, but it, it is an outcome-driven conflict. Both of them had a conflict during the grand jury. Right. I, I agree. I think we're we're saying the same thing kind of a different way. You're saying the broader rule is more like you know, your interest is in how the thing comes out in a financial sense. You benefit from that financially, from the outcome. But it's a different way of saying the same thing I'm saying, which is, okay, it's, so it's a different version of the kind of larger rule. That doesn't mean, <laughs> you know, if there's two different kinds of apples in the basket, that doesn't make them both mean they're not both apples. So, but you see that a lot in state court, too. There's very specific case law that doesn't apply to your situation, but the other side will cite it like, well, this is the only case law that applies. Oh, okay, but that's not the kind of case we're working on. Uh, well, there's another. I, I, I would be curious if anybody's ever thought or even the judge would even consider allowing him to go down this road, but did the two of them ever discuss the possible assignment of rights that might follow a conviction and how much they might make from writing a book or having a movie portray them? And and if they were a couple, they would share that money. Uh, I don't know about that, but there's something on the table that's not, not hypothetical. There's a book. It just came out a week or two ago. Uh one of the authors is Michael Isakoff of Russia. Yeah, I saw that. And according to the publisher's blurb, uh, Fani and her prosecution team sat for hours, literally hours of interviews, including discussion of what happened in the grand jury. And I can't imagine that nobody said the word Trump is guilty. Trump did, the facts show Trump did X. Uh, all of which are prohibited by lawyers' ethics rules. Uh, there are spe specific rules applicable to prosecutors, general rules applicable to all lawyers in a pretrial setting that you cannot say things pre-trial that might sway the jury trial, the jury uh, against uh, or in favor of your client. And you cannot, if you're a prosecutor, say things to indicate the defendant is guilty. That's why when you see statements by prosecutors announcing indictments, they always say he's presumed innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, a lot of the rules require that disclaimer on it. I personally think that in all four of the former president's cases, the prosecutors have broken those rules. They clearly are going beyond sim simple descriptions of the case, right? The kinds of things that the rules allow prosecutors to do so that the public is informed about criminal cases. Uh, I think they've gone way beyond it in, in all four cases, the D.C. case, the Florida case, the New York case, and the Georgia I, case. I, and I, I agree with that, but it, from what I'm reading about this book, uh, the Georgia prosecutors have launched into the stratosphere 
uh, a violation. Yeah. Well, maybe she'll get a bar complaint filed against her too, in addition to everybody wanting to know about her cash payments. But a good grief. So no ruling from the judge tomorrow, you, you're thinking. Hey, King? Uh, no, he said he's not going to rule tomorrow. He'll um, take it under advisement and uh, I guess write something. I, I think he, I think he might I think he might ask for some additional briefing based briefing. upon the testimony as received. Right, I think so too. But which way do we think he's leaning, or which way do we think the evidence goes? What What do we think he'll do? I, I, I you know, I, I a couple of nights ago when we first talked about this spaces tonight being on this subject, I confessed at that point that I hadn't followed it closely enough. I haven't read the briefing. I don't know what the legal standards are. I was only entertained by what I listened to yeah. today, and, yeah. that, and that's about it. So I'm 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 reluctant to opine as to where I think the evidence got them against the legal standard that applies. Okay, King, what do you think? You saw all. Of I it, saw I think, it today, all huh? the, uh, today, and I've read the briefs. Uh, the uh, the judge is going to have a hard time politically and just professionally say this person lied and that person didn't uh, because it, right. it's kind of a flip of the coin situation. Uh, on the other hand, it's the appearance of conflict issue that's going to be most troubling for him. How he comes out, okay. I can't say, but he can come in. He, he can easily, I can see him entering a disqualification order uh, because of the appearance. Uh, on the other hand, he can do a whitewash and probably get him some votes mm -hmm. next collection. The thing he could do tactically is if he, if he does not want this, he could leave her on the case and simply not let the case get to trial before the election. Well, yeah, he could do that, but why would he? You're saying you think he would do that in light of this development, just to see if Trump gets elected or not? And then, well, it would blunt. It would blunt. It would what blunt. What he's trying to do. It, yeah, it, right. yeah it, would, it would prevent her from accomplishing what she is trying to accomplish without essentially killing the case. Right. On, on, on well, that issue, I, let me let me weigh in. I think the chances are very remote. This case gets tried before the election. Uh, there are some still pending uh, uh, petitions for the Eleventh Circuit to hear on bond right. the the uh, uh, removal cool. filed by Meadows and Clark. Uh, I've read right. Clark's brief. Uh, it is. It's solid. It's it's it. It will be hard for that court or the Supreme Court if it goes that way uh, to say there's no grounds for removal. Uh, right. It, I, I've thought that the whole time. And, too. and Clark has filed a removal. Um, I, I mean, an immunity argument to dismiss the case against him before this judge, and this judge is now have has piled up pretty large stack of demurrers, which is basically a motion to dismiss, and the immunity argument that Clark has raised. 
that's going to tie up this court in legal mm. hearings uh, for a while. A while. And, and Fani wants to start trying this in August. I don't see any way they can start picking a jury in August. Well, I'm wondering if Trump's lawyers in the Supreme Court shouldn't get a transcript of this hearing today and send it to the Supreme Court justices and say, this is why presidents need to be immune. <laughs> because this is what happens. Exhibit A. That's, that's a you good got, point. You got lunatic local prosecutors who will go after him. It's, it's insane. Yes. Don't send well, me the transcript. Send him the friggin' video. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, and it, because it, was... because remember, we didn't talk about this too much the other night. This was this was part of the panel's justification for not needing immunity because there are there are limits or there are right. ethical yeah. considerations yeah. that Everybody prosecutors. Yeah, you know, there are no grand time. there are grand jury requirements to get an right. indictment. You know, so so we there's lots of there's lots right. of safeguards in place to prevent a rogue prosecutor from you know doing what the what uh, Trump claims a rogue prosecutor could do. Um, right. can, can we talk about the uh, two filings that have happened in the last two days? Did everybody yeah, see that Trump's might, team responded well. today? Yeah, we might as well. Yes. So let me yeah, tell I, folks what happened. So yesterday, the special counsel's office, they had until next Tuesday, but they didn't take their time. And they, <laughs> they filed in the Supreme Court a pleading saying, oh, you should not stay the case. There's no reason for, for the trial not to keep going um, in front of Judge Chutkin in the district court in dc they shouldn't and take they, they shouldn't grant cert <laughs> not that they just shouldn't stay it they shouldn't even consider taking it he hasn't even filed asking for the cert yet i mean it's just preposterous so and then trump's lawyers filed um their basically reply back right uh and so ship what did you make of these two pleadings well, I, I only was able to scan them, and and if you follow me on Twitter, you saw mm -hmm. that yesterday I posted a link to what I thought was a, uh, a, a, a a quite astonishing column written by Jack Goldsmith, who I hold yeah. in very high regard. Yeah, um, the guy's got just a gold-plated DOJ pedigree. Has, right. has, has, has you know he 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 was the director of the office of uh, OLC Office of Legal Counsel during the Bush administration. Uh, had been tasked by um, presidents or aid attorney generals from both parties to do uh, difficult projects um, and had always been you know right. well well received by Congress and he's he's no fan of trump he's he's uh, you know he's he's hooked up with the lawfare guys although he's not formally a member I think he just mm -hmm. uh, he, he's not quite in their camp but he's right. he does not he is not a fan of the prospect of a second Trump term. Right. Um, but he just came right out and said, look, Jack Smith can't come right out and say it, but he wants a trial ahead of the election to influence the outcome of the election. Right. And that is contrary that to is a DOJ no policy. Saying, right. That, no one is saying that's what it is, but that's obviously what it is. Right. And, and, and it's and, and he says basically said it's 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 unseemly and it's unworthy of the Justice Department and the Justice Department should put a stop to it. The Merrick Garland should tell Jack Smith, 
You cannot do this. It doesn't matter whether you think you are positively affecting the, the election or negatively affecting the election. You cannot take any step which will benefit or work to the detriment of one candidate or the other. We don't do it. Um, and so what I saw today, I, and I put this up if you haven't seen it, within the first three paragraphs of the Trump reply today, they're quoting Jack Smith's Goldsmith's right. article from yesterday. Article. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I said today, now, I mean, this is my view. I, my impression is Jack Goldsmith is taken as a serious thinker in the D.C. legal community, including at the Supreme Court. He's a professor at Harvard now. You know, he, he he's like a lawyer's lawyer. He's like, all, this is what the law is. All right. the justices know him. Right. You know, when he comes out and puts it that bluntly, look, it's transparent what you are doing. It doesn't matter that you won't admit it. Um, nobody should be mistaken. Right. Uh, it's what we started from on the point you started with, which I always tell my clients too. You can't deny things that everyone can see with their own eyes is what is going on. Except this does not help. Except that Smith did not deny it. He just ignored right. it. it. Right. He just won't he come won't out and come say, out and say, it. say He's it. pretending. And he won't give reasons why the government the quote, public has a right to a speedy trial. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that articulation. I don't think that's accurate, actually. Well, but, and, then today, and then today, or in his brief yesterday, I, I can't quote the line, I don't have it in front of me, but he made reference to the government having an interest in an expeditious trial. It's like, right. how does the government right. have an interest? Right, right. The public might, but the government doesn't. Right. Right. And, and when he talks about when he talks about the government, he's not talking about the court and he's not right. talking about the Congress. Right. He's talking about the Biden administration, which is the prosecutorial entity. It is the executive branch. Right. His whole pleading reads like he gets to make all the decisions and these Supreme Court people just really need to get out of his way. <laughs> oh, and that it's no, this is what I loved. That it would not be in the public interest to right. grant cert or delay the case. For the it's Supreme like, Court oh, to decide so, that, yeah. okay. so you're telling us that if we disagree with you, we are not acting in the public interest. Right. I know. Who right. the hell are you? That's what my response to his whole pleading was. Who the hell well, are you? Actually, right that, that, that argument turns on its head when you consider how is the public interest expressed. It's, it's expressed in elections. So he's telling us we have to do something to shortstop somebody getting elected. Uh, that's right. not going to fly with the, no. the Supreme Court. No. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it. It's almost like there's no self awareness in the people that are signing those briefs. And and it, and, and and it's funny because signed as counsel on that brief is Michael Dreeben. And yeah. I would have never expected Dreeben to crawl that far out on a limb. Now, maybe Dreeben, maybe it was put to him, no, that's got to be in there. You know, but what I think was also not lost on the, the, on, the, on the audience for that brief, meaning the justices, what I think is also not lost upon them is that Jack Smith has a history of, of not respecting the barriers. He just right. kicks them over and goes through them. Right. You know, he showed that without question in the way he prosecuted 
um, uh, the, the Virginia governor. Right. McDonnell. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it, it, the, the whole thing reads that way. I'll be surprised if some of them wouldn't take a little bit of offense at this. Oh, oh absolutely. Oh, telling us how to do our job. Oh, no one's asking you. Right. Didn't you tell us? Didn't you tell us a month ago that only we could resolve this question? And he doesn't even bother to address that dis disconnect, right? That dissonance. I, that just astonishes me. The government has to do better than that. The, the courts should expect more from them than that. But but this is what happens. And I'm not saying that this is. Not, I'm not saying it's not needed. This is what happens when you give one megalomaniac the authority to do what he wants to do. And the only break is somebody who currently is not really doing his job, which is Merrick Garland. Right. Merrick Garland is a figurehead. The person running that department is Lisa Monaco. Well, you know, I think it's also not a good look when you, you didn't even take the six days that they gave you to file. You filed the next day. Well, I, I think part it? of it, they, they had it in the can. You know, I, I don't yeah, think they would have sure. had to wait to see what Trump was going to file to be prepared. But it's no. almost like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. See, we're going right, fast. Exactly. You should go fast, too. Right, exactly. That's, and, that's, then, yeah, I, I, okay. and then and then have, have commentators like Roger Parlaw on Twitter create these <laughs> ridiculous time frames. Did you see that timeline? And, and no, it's like, I, hold on. You know, my response to it was, hold on. Explain to me what would motivate the court to cut itself off from full right. briefing on a novel question of law that only the court can really decide. Why would they cut themselves off right. from full briefing? And then why would they give themselves only 10 days to prepare them and their clerks to prepare for oral argument? Right. Uh, right. His whole thing reads like I used to have to tell some of my clients, look. You know, just because you want that doesn't mean you're, we're going to get it from the other side. Well, but but that's what I need. They should want to do that. No, they don't have to want to do stuff to help you. <laughs> that's not, that's <laughs> not what motivates other people. You know, good grief. I loved his thing, too, because he has, like, the jury coming back in September and then the elections in November. And I was like, okay, so obviously he's assuming that, that Trump would get convicted. But the... If Trump gets convicted in Judge Chutkin's courtroom in September, he's not going to sentence him until January. Right. So, <laughs> where's that on your little timeline? Yeah, <laughs> except he, he doesn't need a, a sentence. He may not even need a conviction. He may need, just want and be angling for at least a week or two of headlines about what his case is. That's oh, I, I think no, 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 I think yeah, he wants the conviction. Yeah, uh, right. uh, no, no, I think I think Smith wants the he wants the conviction. <laughs> oh, he thinks the yeah. conviction is the kill. Oh yeah, that, that but, yeah but, that that's but hundred on the on on the scale. But he'll take yeah he'll take a sixty or a seventy if he can get uh, oh I, you know well, you know before the election of his case without any well, I, I guarantee you I know what they'll do now. If they if they are able to get started 10 weeks, 12 weeks before election day, 
they will truncate the case because the oh, verdict well, is, the absolutely. verdict is foregone. The verdict is yeah. going to be the verdict is going to be right. guilty. There's no right. question about it. it. Doesn't matter what the evidence is. Look, I've sat through jury trials. The jurors are impervious to anything contrary to what the government presents. Right. The in that district on January 6th. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not, it's not even, there's not even open to the suggestion that they will consider anything. So, so the outcome is, so he is going to race to finish his case in chief and then use every tactic he can employ to shortcut a defense case just so he can get to the verdict. Cause he knows what the verdict will be and he knows it'll be fast. Right. There won't be long deliberation by the jury. No, I agree. Well, you know, as we've talked about many times now, I don't think that trial's happening. Uh, I don't. I don't think so either. Yeah. So uh, he can I, I, whatever he wants, but Parloff is just insane on his timeline. Yeah. yeah Parloff was famous because I was watching it at the time during the first Oathkeeper trial for blogging live the events of the day. And then when I talked to the defense lawyers later on, they would say, yeah, but on cross-examination, <laughs> we got the witness to say X, Y, Z. And none right. of that was in Parloff's None of it was on you know, the tweeting. Yeah. Mm, nice. Honest reporter there. That's what we need. Okay. Well, I don't know if there'll be as many fireworks tomorrow, but King, you're definitely going to watch, right? I'll be there. Um, with my barrel of coffee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So for people who've asked the questions, the, the, this judge, if there's a trial, is definitely not going to let witnesses in front of a jury act that way. He's not going to give the former president leeway to pontificate about stuff that he wants and let them argue with, with lawyers. So, you know, the performance by that district attorney today it was a discredit to her office. Lawyers should not act that way from the witness stand. And in general, they don't. Although, as I was saying on Twitter, lawyers are invariably very bad witnesses. I've, I've had them as witnesses. Uh, and they lawyers are absolutely the worst. You cannot shut them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they won't answer the question, but you know, judges are worse. Judges are the worst clients to have and the worst witnesses to have. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> but it's the truth. All right, guys. Well, I think enough for tonight. Um, King, if something really dramatic happens tomorrow, we can go again. Uh, so let me know what you think. I'm sure people will be interested in maybe a shorter one on a Friday night. Deal. Shorter. Shorter. Yeah, shorter. Why? Playoffs. Playoffs. <laughs> you guys got any final thoughts? Not not for tonight. Yeah. Not for tonight. I, I, I'd be curious okay. about a poll as to what was more entertaining, today's hearing or Judge Judy. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, some of us on this call, and I think you are included, King. Remember the original People's Court with uh, what was his oh, name? Judge Wapner. Yeah, Judge Wapner. They're all they're all, they're all impersonators of Judge Wapner. <laughs> That's true. God, I haven't thought about that for years. When I was in law school, um, we watched Court TV, which was really actually pretty interesting. And you know, Dan Abrams is it Abrams? Yeah, yeah. Was was on that. He was actually good then. He seems like a bit of a not. 
not quite the same now, but um, you could actually learn quite a lot, I thought, from watching the you know actual live proceedings. So uh, I, having cameras in the courtroom is not necessarily bad, but you can see from today why the courts are so scared of it in federal court. All right. Have okay. fun. Look forward right, to next guys. time. All right. Talk later. Bye. All right. Bye. Good night, everyone. Good night. So, you guys, my cheeks hurt from laughing so much today <laughs> and yesterday about this crazy case in Georgia. So, I cannot wait to find out from Kingmaker what exactly happened. Um, Kingmaker, can you hear me? Unmute. Yes, I can. Yeah, I think right. you're the only one of the group of us that that sat through most, if not all of it. Were you? Did you watch the whole hearing today? Uh, yes, I did. Oh, good, 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 good. Okay, so Ship and I were dipping in and out, and Aaron, I think you were also dipping in and out. Did you watch any of it, or were you just following it? Uh, I watched some of it, but I mostly was following everyone else. Right, yeah, okay. All right, so let me make some introductions here. I think most people who, who follow me uh, and have done some of the spaces know that who Kingmaker is, but just in case there's new folks, and since we have a new speaker tonight, let me do a quick intro. So <clears throat> I'm a lawyer, obviously, and Kingmaker's a lawyer, and Aaron is not a lawyer. He was an agent. Um, you were an armed agent, right, Aaron, for IRS? Yes, I was a special agent with the IRS Criminal Investigation. Right. Okay. And you're retired now from the government, right? Right. Okay. So the three of us are retired. Ship is not retired. He's working hard on those J6 cases. Um and he, uh, as everyone I think knows, but if you haven't met Ship yet, he's a longtime prosecutor now, quite a long period of time, not as long, maybe half as long, 10 years, I think. He's been a defense lawyer and he's defending a, a good number of the J6 cases here in D.C., although he's actually himself from, um, he lives in Hawaii and uh, was a prosecutor for quite a while, both in Hawaii and in California in the federal system. So I was a criminal defense lawyer. Before I was a lawyer, I was a special agent doing background investigations for security clearances for a few years with Department of Defense. So I was also a special agent, but not an armed agent. And Kingmaker has been practicing is it almost 50 years, Kingmaker? I've been a lawyer for over 50 years. I retired about five years ago. Uh, dabbled in it since then, but uh -huh. full time before that. Right, exactly. Okay, and then I practiced law for 26 or 27 years and have recently pretty much retired. I still give advice, but I don't take cases in court anymore. Um, and we may or may not be joined by my husband, who's also a lawyer. Um, he was a longtime federal prosecutor, 10 years, and he's been a defense lawyer now for, I think, almost 40. He's been practicing almost 50 years. He's actually working on a brief upstairs right now. Um, so he may come down and join us later. We'll see. All right. So tonight we wanted to talk about day two, part duh, of this crazy hearing today and King, I, I mean, I thought it couldn't get any crazier than yesterday, but I think today might have topped it. Today was wonderful. 
and I've, for, for many, uh, many reasons, including legal nerds like me. Right. Yes. There were a lot of legal issues today. It reminds me when I was in law school, the first year I was in law school, was it the first year? No, I think it was the second year. Yeah. Because you had to, at Georgetown law, you only, um, had to take evidence as an elective. It wasn't required, which I thought was dumb then. And I think is even dumber now. But anyway, I took evidence because I knew I wanted to be an in-court lawyer. And that year was the year of the O.J. Simpson trial. And so we spent a semester studying evidence, and we we basically just used the O.J. Simpson trial that the professor did as the basis for teaching all of the evidence rules because, my God, I think they used every rule in the book in that case. So this had a similar feel to it today, Kingmaker. What do you think? Uh, It did. It really did. Parts of it. Uh, Other parts of it just were... Uh, took me back to some old trials I had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, so it can get wild and crazy in state court because people just do unexpected things. I mean, you would not believe the stuff you see in local, in especially criminal courts. It, it can be pretty amazing. So one of the questions people had was, why um, was... Fannie Willis's dad allowed to be like prepped with her there and was had Fannie watched the testimony of Wade from yesterday and those kind of things. So just so people know, there's something called what lawyers call the rule on witnesses. And this is it's not kind of in the rule book per se, but it's called a rule is what lawyers call it. And pretty much in in state court, it's not like it always applies and well federal court either as i think about it usually what happens is one of the lawyers in the case quote unquote invokes the rule on witnesses the, the lawyer will say your honor i'd like to invoke the rule on witnesses and the judge will say oh yes oh yes so uh, identify yourself raise your hand if you're a witness in this case and then they make all the witnesses get up and leave out of the courtroom if they're there or in the courtroom and they're not supposed to talk to each other about their testimony and they're not supposed to listen to the testimony of other people testifying. Now how the judges think they're actually policing that since they make all the witnesses leave <laughs> and they're therefore they don't have control over them anymore. I've never been able to understand, but it's from the old days where, you know, there was no audio feed from the courtroom. It wasn't like it was being piped into another courtroom or on TV. And so if you excluded the witnesses from the courtroom, then they couldn't hear the testimony of the other witnesses. But of course, that's not the world that we live in anymore. And so now you have this situation where the if you invoke the rule on witnesses, the witnesses all leave. And then kind of perversely, the judge loses control rather than having control over those witnesses. So Kingmaker, did did anyone invoke that rule yesterday or today that you heard? Yesterday they did. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Ms. Merchant, uh, the defense invoked, or the government? The defense invoked the, the rule. Okay. And the judge ordered all witnesses anybody who'd been subpoenaed or expected to testify to leave the courtroom, not talk to any other witness, don't talk about the case with anybody, don't, you know, basically shield yourself from all information about what's going on in the courtroom. I'll say that in the old days, uh, back in the day, uh, courts really took this seriously yes and some would go so far as to send witnesses to a room in the courtroom 
where in the they in the, in, the, in the courthouse, yeah, rather, yeah. Uh, where they they couldn't see anybody else, couldn't talk to anybody else. They were allowed to talk to the lawyers, but the lawyers were under strict orders by the court to enforce the rule. Right, and lawyers did that. It was a rule. You're an officer of the court. You you were supposed to tell your witnesses and did. You can't talk to each other, <laughs> right? So, but mm, but, but it was clear. Yes, yeah, it was clear yesterday that finally Will, Willis had not followed that rule <laughs> because she came in testimony, right? Yeah, she came in hot. raging she mad in hot. <laughs> about things that had been said, right? Uh, that she mysteriously, you know, gathered from the airways or ESP or something. <laughs> but it was clear she had, she knew what had happened because she was mad at certain people right. <laughs> about what they had said about right. her. Uh, now, Mr., his name is not Willis. Her father's name is Floyd. His last name is Floyd. Am I right? Floyd is actually the third Floyd in the case. Oh, good. Did you goodness. know that? No. Yes. Uh, one of the defendants is Harrison Floyd. Okay. A, uh, a one of the Trump lawyers person. is a Floyd too. Yeah, there's a there's a Floyd, who's a a lawyer in okay. the case. Now we got a witness uh, who's a Floyd too. All right. Now we have a witness who's a Floyd. All right. Well, I may call him Daddy Floyd then. So, uh, or we could call him her father, whatever. So. All right. He wasn't there when the rule on witnesses got invoked, though, right? So I wonder who – the lawyers are supposed to communicate that to all witnesses, yeah, right? The, yeah, the lawyers are told it early on to communicate to, that to all the witnesses and to make sure they understand it and it's enforced. Okay, uh, and that didn't happen because <laughs> – in this case, because it seems like – is this right that Fanny was sitting in on the prep session with him – uh, with her father last night. King, is that right? Yes. He testified that not only that happened, she sat in on the prep session, but he watched the news <laughs> and saw excerpts of the trial. Okay. And he's a lawyer, so he knows yeah. better. <laughs> right. He does know better. Yeah. He, he should. That's something that maybe a lay witness wouldn't know, but a lawyer knowing they were going to testify should should have enough sense to not watch excerpts of the trial the day before. Did the judge do anything about that though? The judge didn't do anything, but he said something. He said, I may take. Oh, King, he they would. He said, I, I may hear take you. that violation of the rule in consideration. In, in, oh no. In King, can you hear me? I, I can hear both of you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, okay. All you, right. King, you're back now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You said he, the judge he didn't do anything. And then I lost you. What'd you say? He, uh, the judge said, uh, I'm going, I may take uh, your violation of the rule in consideration in assessing credibility. Right. Well, I mean, there's not much else a judge can do, right? He can't make him unhear the testimony. He could strike his testimony for a willful violation of the rule on against witnesses, of the rule on witnesses. But have you ever seen a judge do that, actually? I've seen one, yes. Mm. Yeah. I actually, as I'm remembering it, I had a judge in the Eastern District of Virginia try to do that to me one time because a character witness that I wanted to call came into the courtroom after we'd started and I didn't see him come in because your back is to the audience when you're talking to the judge. Um, 
And in that case, I will say to his credit, the federal prosecutor in that case helped help me out there and did not, he didn't press the point. He didn't object. He, he said, look, she didn't see him come in and he's a character witness. We don't object to this witness testifying, even though the rule had been invoked. So, but it, other than that, right, it's rare for a judge to really be able to do anything about it. The lawyers are really supposed to police it because it goes to the integrity of the testimony, right? It, 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 yes, uh, I'll say that, but but the rule rule only takes effect when the trial starts. Right. Uh, you can sit down. The lawyer can gather a whole room full of witnesses ahead of trial and right. talk to all of them if he wants to. Uh, so and and they can compare notes. They can talk to each other. Uh, there's no rule against that. Now, if you do that too much, though, prosecutors often take the view that that's obstruction of their case. <laughs> uh, so that's the problem. That that it a lawyer has to police it, but right, it it happens. I can I can right. assure you, it you know, witnesses do talk to each other. Uh, sometimes with the lawyers being there, sometimes against lawyers' advice, uh, but they do talk. Right. Uh, but but that doesn't violate any rule when they do that, so long as they're not, you know, shaping testimony and getting one to lot to lie, that sort of thing. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. So that was one rule that got invoked. Um, and then, it, it, again, it's kind of started with a rocky start today, it looked to me like. This is often the case in state court, I will say. Right. Not so much in federal court, but in state court. People are haven't cleared security at the courthouse. They're not there in the courtroom. They're in the wrong courtroom, right? It's just a little bumpier. And I, my experience was state court judges are a little more forgiving. Of maybe there was a traffic issue getting to the courthouse, something going on, right? But this is two second day of this proceeding, and both days they haven't been ready to go at go time, right? Uh. That's true, but once it got started, it was very entertaining because those first two <laughs> witnesses, it were just wonderful, both of them. Uh, they had some stuff to say. Yes, they did. The, well, well I'm, talking, I'm talking about real characters. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. But my question is, how did it develop that this, the Bradley, the partner, Wade's partner, that he wasn't going to be there or he was going to be late? Did Did they tell the judge this morning? that he had this doctor's appointment? How did that unfold? Uh, when they showed up, they said he was at a doctor's appointment and he'd come over as soon as he's finished. Okay. And, and that they've repeated that message all morning <laughs> <laughs> and the judge got very irritated and chewed him out when he got there. Did he? I didn't hear that. Afternoon. Yes. Yes. He did. He said, you're under subpoena. Nobody told me about any doctor's appointment and uh, uh, just indicated his intense displeasure. Displeasure. Way. Yes. Because, because the lawyer was, I mean, the witness was a lawyer. Right. And, and knows better. <laughs> right. Now, if it's an emergency, you have to go to the doctor. But, and the judge will usually wait to see, does that prove out, right? But... Hmm. So this this was not an emergency. This was oh, yeah, a yeah. scheduled doctor's appointment. Oh, and see, the court should be notified of that ahead of time. Of course, he probably thought he was going to finish testifying yesterday, 
right? Yes, he was called to the stand yesterday. I guess he assumed he'd be done. Right. But nobody bothered to tell the judge, oh, by the way, he's got a doctor's appointment tomorrow that could that's take not half, good half a day. Yeah. Right. That's not good practice. If the, if the witness carries over and you weren't expecting that and they have something like that, you have to tell the judge before the close of the proceeding on the day that you're on, which was yesterday. <laughs> you don't show up in the morning and say, oh, by the way, judge, my client's not going to be here. That doesn't usually go over very well. Uh, and, and by the way, he, he, he was really neither side's witness. Mm. Uh, the, the defense wanted to call him and get stuff out of him that uh, he claimed privilege on and explore what he knew that wasn't privileged. Uh, the prosecution wanted no part of him, but uh, they didn't want him to be there at all. So he was kind of adverse to both sides. Uh, but the so defense he, had subpoenaed him, right? Yes, and he had his own lawyer there. His own lawyer was at fault for not telling the judge. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't that was not the witness's fault. That's his lawyer's fault um, that he should have done better vis-a-vis -vis both his client and the court there. OK, so but the, Mr. Bradley, he did testify. But in the afternoon, right? Yes, he was all afternoon. OK, and, uh, it was that it was interesting testimony and a case for legal nerds. Right. Like me. So we're, yeah. So we'll get to him. So, all right. So in the morning, he's on hold. The judge isn't happy about that. So they went ahead with another witness. But I, it was hard for me to follow from the reporting exactly what was going on. Did did the defense end their part of their case except for Bradley? Yes. Okay. Yes. And when did they do that? This morning? Uh, they... Well, they said that we still have Bradley to go, so they never ended their case until he, until he took the stand. Right. Uh, the, so the state uh, went out of order, so to speak, and called their first witness, who was delightful. Right. All right. So tell us about that. It's, uh, it's, it's former Governor uh, Roy Barnes. Uh, he was governor back in the late 1990s, I think early uh, 2000s, he was a, he was your prototypical politician, deep, deep Georgia Southern drawl politician slash trial lawyer. Okay. And he, he played the part perfectly. <laughs> and so the government called him, but for what purpose? Um, I'm trying to remember. He he, he didn't have much to add. He, um, <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was just entertaining. Right. Uh, he he was the person that Fannie Willis uh, first went to 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 take over or to lead the Trump prosecution. Oh, I see. So it, this so, is going to she didn't just steer this to her. Boy toy, she tried to get a real person to do it first. A, a, a real, a real trial lawyer. I mean, a excellent trial lawyer with a huge reputation, right. and well loved by a uh, large part of Georgia. Okay. And if anybody outside of Georgia watched him, they'd love him too. He okay. was he's just one of these lovable lawyer slash politicians. Right, avuncular type. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
And he turned it down. Is that what happened? He turned it down. He said, he said, I've, I've been, uh, I think he said, uh, yeah, I had, I had the uh, case once, uh, where I had to have bodyguards and mm. I didn't want any more of that. Mm, been there, uh, done I, that. Okay. I've been, I've been, no more. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so that's a good point of proof for them as far as it goes, but it doesn't really prove that she didn't give this contract to her boyfriend with in an improper way. Yeah. yeah except he was in the room when she offered uh, Barnes the job. Okay. Uh, and and he 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 remembers shaking hands with Wade, but they didn't re didn't really talk. I see. Okay. But I mean that doesn't help them that much. Do you agree? No, it it, it I don't I I don't think it uh, helps the defense, but I don't think it hurts them much either. The go the government or the defense? Either one. Right. He was well, just between, entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> they, one but of the defense, one of the defense lawyers says, says, I've known you for <laughs> decades. And, and Mr. Barnes, I want to, Governor Barnes, I want to tell you that I think you're the best trial lawyer in the state of Georgia. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> it, it, so, it was that kind of old home week. Okay. Right. But if the if the state called him as their witness, then they were trying to use him to show that that Fanny didn't simply turn this case over to her boyfriend, that she made some effort to turn it over to someone else. Fine. But that doesn't prove that you didn't turn it over to your boyfriend and that you're not benefiting financially from it. Yeah, it, it, it's, that, kind of, it's kind of irrelevant to that. Yeah, I yeah. think so, too. <laughs> so, okay. And then the next witness they called was her father. Is that right? Her father, uh, Mr. Floyd. Uh, it This was not in the trial, but I looked him up. I Googled him. Okay. Uh, he, he has a re reputation of being a founder of the Black Panthers right. back in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, but he also, his, his bio also said, when out in L.A., uh, the Black Panthers murdered two people, uh, he very vocally and publicly resigned and disavowed the Black Panthers and went to law school. Okay. So he uh, and he he's practiced practiced law ever since as a trial lawyer, trying cases all over the country. Uh, various types and uh, had a stint with the um, international, some international, oh, I can't think of the name of the court. Uh, uh, oh, the International Criminal Court? Yes. Okay. In the Hague? Uh, I, I don't know if it's in the Hague or not, but it, uh, it sounded like one of those that was prosecuting um, uh, uh, genocide in Africa, right? right. Okay, because he has ties to Africa, and okay. he actually before he came to Atlanta to live with Fanny, he uh, had been living in South Africa for okay. four years or so, kind of retired or semi-retired. Okay, and um, he came to Atlanta uh, about the time she was running for an. Uh, the DA 
stayed in her house. And hit the point of his testimony was two things. Uh, one, to gain sympathy for her. He described the threats she was under when she got elected. Uh, the uh, constant threats uh, of um, people threatening to kill her, uh, painting uh, stuff on her house, uh, described the security that, that was put in place, uh, including a dog to sniff for bombs, because there have been bomb threats. And uh, uh, after she got elected and putting up with that about a month or two, she moved out. He stayed there, he said, to protect the house, which she had built with her own money. Uh, it was a new house. With her uh, own cash money, did he say? He, he didn't say where the <laughs> money came from, but he, he said she had, she had built that house, uh -huh. was living in it. And uh, when she moved out for safety reasons, uh, he decided to stay behind and try to see what he could do to uh, keep the house safe, you know, take care of the yard, hmm. uh, wash the paint off the outside where people had painted slogans and stuff. Right. Okay, and so my question is, none of this is relevant, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's pure sympathy. Right, straight it's up like, sympathy. Like, like they're playing to a jury. Right, and there's no jury. So who are we playing to? The judge and the, so? and, yeah. and the, and anybody who's watching, anybody who's watching. TV. You got to understand, she's a politician. testimony, though, to also, you know, provide some, Credibility yeah, we're, that she yeah exactly. We're, yes, we're getting right. to that. Yeah, we're getting to that. Yeah. The, the second thing, the second thing, the second thing he testified to was the cash. All right. So let me stop it, you there because I want to bring Erin in in on this um, because of what she said testified to yesterday. Because then we can then evaluate what Mr. Floyd had to say today. So um, yesterday, as we all know, Fanny testified that she quote unquote reimbursed Mr. Wade for expenses that he paid on her behalf uh, for trips that they took together. Now, his their written papers seem to say that they took turns paying, not that she reimbursed him, much less in cash. Um, but that is what the both of them testified to in open court yesterday. So, Aaron, let me turn to you, uh, uh, and let's talk for a minute about what you made of that testimony yesterday from your perspective as a former IRS investigator. I find it how, highly, how often highly improbable. did you have to deal with this issue of hoarding cash? Uh, well, hoarding cash is a extremely common defense uh, in indirect method cases for tax cases and for money laundering. So it's a common defense for criminals to say, well, I didn't actually get all this money from my crime or I didn't, actually evade taxes, all this money I had sitting around, and that's what I was using. It, it's so common that it's covered in basic training, and it's a textbook defense, and it's something that IRS agents are trained very early, like I said, basic training to, to pierce and look into whenever we're doing a criminal investigation. So that would be one of the first things we would ask a subject during subject interviews. You know, what 
what cash do you have around the house? What cash do you have on hand? And that's one of the things that we would look at in financial statements. I find it highly implausible that she had that kind of cash sitting around. She is a very wealthy woman now. She's reportedly worth $8 million. But it, it, you're still talking about a fair amount of cash for all those trips. Talking about tens of thousands of dollars, as I understand it. It would seem like it would have to be, given the number of trips and where they were too. Yeah. And the other thing is that doesn't sit well with me is that there's no there's no like receipts for any of it. There's no there's no tracking of it. And so it's not just cash on one side, it's cash on two sides, right? So she's giving him tens of thousands of dollars. What is he doing with that cash? And he's he's purchasing all this stuff on his business credit card. He's in the middle of a divorce. So he's probably not only hiding money from his wife, but it probably is not paying taxes and expensing all these things as well. Uh, It's all very He may not be. Yeah, he may not be. So this leads me to a point I want to make uh, as we kind of launch into this part of the podcast, which is, you know, we don't have enough facts, those of us on this call, to to say for sure whether anything that these folks did is or isn't criminal, right? So... Because a lot of times, especially when you're talking about money crimes, it depends on specifically what the facts are. So uh, uh, we're going to talk about, well, it could be this and it could be that. But I want to caution people that I certainly am not saying, well, this X, Y, Z is definitely a crime. If something is definitely a crime, then I'm not shy about saying so. But it's hard in this kind of an arena to be that positive about it. Um, Leslie, last night I said there was one crime. And that was kind of confirmed today. Mm-hmm. And that would be Nathan Wade's false answer sw- under oath to the interrogatory that asked whether during his marriage or the period of their, their separation, did he have sexual intercourse with anybody else other than his wife? He answered no. Right. And that's a good distinction. So there we know what the answers were. We know enough facts to comfortably say this is a false statement. That would be a crime. So by contrast, with a lot of these other questions, a lot of these other issues, especially surrounding the money, they might be crimes, but they might not be. And we don't have the correct and accurate facts established. Right. So for instance, it seemed very unclear to me, her her testimony yesterday, Fannie Willis, about the money that she took from her campaign, the way she talked about it, it was unclear. Does she mean she took it out of her campaign donations or does she mean the money she took out of her retirement account to use to fund her own campaign? And so the answer about whether that was criminal activity to continue to dip into that money could could definitely depend on which one of those it is. So do you see what I'm saying? So we want to be careful. We're not accusing people of committing crimes um, unless it's very clear that that's what's going on. And for a lot of these questions, I think it's certainly possible. And and this is one of the things I wanted to discuss, especially with Aaron, is what things might – there might be enough there to perk up an investigator's ears, right, to, to cause a prosecutor maybe to have some interest. Um, but, you know, you would need to have more facts and know all of the facts in order to say for sure that this is criminal conduct. So, 
But she did say some stuff on the witness stand yesterday about money that certainly caused me and, and a bunch of other people, uh, lawyers on Twitter, to perk up and say, well, wait a minute, is that legal or not legal? So she talked about getting gifts from Wade. She talked about this thing with her campaign. Obviously, steering the contracts to him could potentially you know, be, be criminal or improper at a minimum. Um, and so I was wondering, for Aaron, from your point of view, from sort of the tax perspective, what things did you hear that caused you to think, well, uh, if I were on a case, I'd want to know more about that? Well, right, sure. And I, I agree with you. There's, we don't know what the facts are because you're just, we're just speculating based on what they say. Um, but I would have been running to open a case, um, not me because I didn't do political corruption, but um, we would have also, someone would have been running in the office to make sure they put a number on, on <laughs> both of them. Uh, before the day was out to sort of stake their claim. Um, so th the red flags, whenever you see um, a lot of amb ambiguity about who's paying for what. And how and with and what. And how and, not, and vague recollections about where the cash came from. And you see that he's paying on his business cards. So, so right there is a red flag already. He's paying for extravagant business expenses on on his card he's he's sort of already admitted to lying about the divorce um, so uh, another commonality in a lot of tax cases is is during a divorce it is very common very common for them to to lie to their cpa because you, you just can't lie <laughs> on the divorce papers and then also not lie to the IRS. It's very difficult to keep right. track of all these lies. Right. So they wind up doing both. And from that perspective, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to prove because the CPA will come in and say, well, I just put down on the tax return what they tell me. And so he lied to me. So that's what I put down. Um, and he's using his business card. He's in the middle of a divorce. So that makes it much more likely. You have all this cash going back and forth. So then you're thinking, okay, well, if he, if she's reimbursing him for cash and he's buying this thing and they have this relationship and he's he's billing the government, is he also billing the government for time that he's spending in Aruba with her? You know, is there is there contract fraud? Is there any sort of fraud that's going on in there? And and because of all the ambiguity and because of all the you know the this you know the seemingly like a lot of effort going into there's just so much protestation there's they're protesting way too much for something that if they just had an affair why wouldn't they just say hey like yeah we had sex so what right That's, well the, they the reason they're protesting so much and they decided on this it was all cash strategy is because of the allegation right that she gave this work to him and his firm and his partners or co-lawyers, whatever they technically were. Um, and then he turned around and spent the money on her and well, them as a couple, but partly on her. And so in order to say that that's not true, she had to say that she reimbursed him. But then the problem is she it's not like she has checks right from her in her account that are made out to him that say reimbursement for airline tickets, right? That would be a whole different story if she had those kinds of documents. Right. So, it, all, it all smacks of 
something that they created on the fly and it doesn't, After the fact. It doesn't yeah it doesn't jive very well with reality and you're as a financial investigator you're knowing like okay the chances of her having that kind of cash around it are is pretty slim and then even the cash with that kind of cash was, is going to leave a trail somewhere um because again she's she has the cash so she's giving it to him what, what is he doing with it so is he putting it in his bank is he keeping it in his house is he spending it uh you know there's there's sort of things going on there and should that money not or should it not have maybe gone into his firm instead so one point i wanted to clarify that people seem to be confused about on twitter is this question of whether Wade was um, not counting the money she gave him allegedly as reimbursement as income, right? And people were kind of quick to say, oh, well, that's that's fraud. And from my perspective, and I defended not a lot, but I did defend some tax cases. And um, actually, my first year of law school that summer, I clerked for the Internal Revenue uh, services office of chief counsel. So I know some tax law and certainly from the criminal perspective, what the issues are. And I, so I want to caution people that just because you don't count the reimbursement as income isn't necessarily tax evasion, because if you didn't claim those costs as expensed business items in the first place, then it's not income to you. Right. If, if you right? purchased everything on his personal credit card and she gave him cash, then that's not income. The The big right. issue where I see is, is the use of the business credit card. And what's common for businesses to do is basically give that credit card receipts to the CPA and say, these, you know, these are my expenses and they expense that whole thing. And he's expensing his entire trip, including her portion on that credit card. And then somewhere that cash is coming in. And, and my suspicion would be into his personal pocket. And the divorce sort of leads credence to this because the divorce allegations are going to say that he hid money. And undoubtedly, that, that's going to be part of the, if it's not part of the divorce filing already, it, it certainly will be. It will be. Right. <laughs> it will be. Right. So really how he handled it with his accountant and how the accountant reflected it on the tax return. Because like we talked about yesterday, I, I thought it was clear as mud whether that credit card was his, whether it was the firm's, whether he, he seemed to say he put all of his expenses on one card. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he and his accountant put all of those expenses as items that could be deducted as business expenses on his return, right? Those are two different things. So... And how he treated it, exactly how it was treated for tax purposes, makes a difference as to whether it's then a problem that he doesn't turn around and count her reimbursements, which she allegedly gave him, as income. But it seems also to me, King, what do you think of this? And tell us, how was the judge looking at this a bit before yesterday and today? That Well, let me ask my question first that, you know, what does it have to do really how the tax treatment is seems to me to be pretty far afield from where whether this is conflict of interest or not? Uh, short answer. Yes. Before but before I get there, uh, let me explain to Aaron and the rest of everybody here. Uh, there are about four distinct 
areas that people are looking at Fannie about for this particular contract. Uh, first is the issue that the judge is trying yesterday and today. That is whether the personal relationship plus financial arrangement between the two created a conflict of interest or appearance of conflict of interest in this uh, criminal case. Second would be uh, the contract itself, which she did not seek the approval of the uh, Fulton County, what is it, Board of Commissioners or whatever uh, body uh, normally approves. She didn't use the normal process for letting correct. the contract. She correct. And whether she uh, adequately disclosed things like personal relationship and a travel arrangement whereby they exchanged money, cash, uh, uh, and gifts. And then the other one is not related directly to the contract, but could be, and that is uh, apparently whistleblowers in her office have come forward with allegations that she has misspent uh, or misused money coming into the office, uh, mostly federal, uh, and not properly accounted for it and not properly used it for its intended purpose. And that could lead to these lawyer contracts. It could be that's the source of some of the money. So all of those, uh, she's under the magnifying glass uh, of both uh, state and federal officials, uh, uh, potentially criminal. And that doesn't even count the tax. Yeah, stuff. Well, from my perspective, it's okay. You know, she was having an affair. Okay, if that was just that, that you're sort of unfortunately that's ubiquitous in government. Um, so I would, we wouldn't even we wouldn't even think about that. But then, okay, now the contract wasn't awarded in in the correct manner. Okay, those two things together, maybe you're thinking, okay, well, it doesn't sound good, but maybe not enough. No, but then you start getting into these these you know, these trips and the cash reimbursements, and the cash reimbursements sound super dubious. Super, I, I, I'm skeptical about about her explanation of the cash, and it sounds like they threw it together after the fact. Um, there's and conveniently no trace that they can provide. Um, you, you sort of looking at one thing after another, and you're sort, sort of thinking, okay, there's just so much here. You just, I got, I wouldn't want to bet that there's not something wrong there if, if I were the judge. But and as a criminal investigator, I, I right. would, I would think, okay, I, all I have to do is open a case, and if I investigate it long enough, I'm going to find something. Especially given right. Wade, you know, when you have someone in a contested divorce doing all this stuff, the the likelihood of having you know wire fraud or or a tax case, and usually we would try to do both um, because it puts defendants in this position of having to either deny the one and say they committed tax fraud, or 
or just admit to the fraud outright and say they didn't mean to to do tax fraud either way is not is not good. Right. And sometimes, as I was saying before, you get to the bottom of all of it and it looks bad, but there's no actual criminal conduct because the person has sometimes even tried to do things the wrong way, but they haven't technically violated the law. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I agree. I, I Based on what her testimony was yesterday, there were a number of things that I thought, "Ooh, somebody might want to take a look at that. And we haven't even, King, your list didn't include whatever's going on with the money she used from her campaign. And again, maybe that was perfectly legal. Maybe it wasn't money from contributors. Maybe it was her own money that she'd be allowed to use that she took out of her retirement account. But her testimony about that was sufficiently unclear that I think a motivated investigator would have more questions about that. Well, also, it just goes to the implausibility of it. Why? If you have yeah. cash in your house and that's normal for you, why do you need to justify it by saying it came from your campaign? You would just say it. No, I just keep cash all the time. I've always had cash. So I deal in cash. Right. I always have X amount oh, of cash I, on well, hand well, for really emergency. True. What's right. really true is I had this cash hoard I kept. <laughs> so, you know, the story right. starts shifting and changing, which is, you know, another red flag yeah. that we would look for. Yeah, uh, the, uh, on, on that point, uh, yeah. that it did come out yesterday that uh, she told the authors of a book that just came out that she was pretty much broke at the end of her campaign. And there was a tax lien, about a $47,000 tax lien on her property. And she was uh, out of money. She spent all her money on the campaign. That was her testimony. So, except for the hoard that she had that she wasn't using to pay off her taxes. Yeah. That a, a hoard <laughs> of some un, undefined dimension. Well, the thing too is with with her and her position, she's going to have multiple ways that she filled out financial affidavits, whether it was for loans, right, or it was exactly. office, right. and, a, and a cash, right. you know, cash at home would be something that you would need to report. And so, you know, the IRS is going to look, the criminal investigator is going to look for a starting point. And, and she, I think she was divorced in 2005, which is, which is a long time ago, but still recent enough to go back and pull those records and start putting together you know, how much she made. As a baseline, yeah. right, from there, what happened. Yeah, right. Well, Aaron, you brought, raised, an, I thought, an excellent point on Twitter today about, so, and now we're going to get to her father. So she, they called her father as a witness today, obviously with her approval and probably it was her idea, right, to call her father, to corroborate her testimony that she does keep cash on hand, you know, and why that is. Um, you know, and it is often a good tactic as a lawyer to have someone other than the person who is under scrutiny to have another person, even if they're a family member, come in and say, yeah, this is what we always did. This is what happened. Here's some examples of it. That can be um, powerful proof. So I'm not faulting her for, for wanting to call a corroborating witness. It is always a little problematic when it's a close family member. But that's why they wanted to call him today. But Aaron, you had an interesting take on put, having, putting him up on the witness stand and from the perspective of an investigator. So tell folks about that. I don't even remember what I said about that. Other than, ah, but I, you I, were I saying, you no, I this it was is, a mistake for any yeah. of them to testify. Yeah. <laughs> 
Right, exactly. This is the point you're making. So, Go I ahead. mean, she didn't have to testify, as, as I understand it. She volunteered to do so. Um, the, so the more everyone testifies, what's great for an investigator is when you testify in court because it's it's all transcribed, and the prosecutors can't doubt that you didn't ask the question 500 ways and they didn't misunderstand the question. That It's all clear. So you're basically locking people into a story. And... And you've sworn to tell the truth. Right. And, and they're lawyers, so they know better. And right. what what also doesn't work out very well when you bring in relatives is, in this, I've seen it happen with character witnesses, you start getting, I mean, for this purpose, it might be fine. But for a criminal case, you start asking them, well, obviously, you didn't know them very well because you didn't know about this thing, did you? You didn't know about this. What about this event? Well, you didn't meet her boyfriend until 2023? So obviously you didn't know what she was doing. Well, right. And that was a weakness with this witness today is that they did that exactly that same thing to him. He didn't know she was dating Wade and yet he's providing testimony that, you know, he knows what's going on with his daughter. And those two things can't be true at the same time. Right. So it can, in a criminal case that can make the defendant look a little worse because it looks like they're not just lying to the government. They're also lying to everyone else around them. <laughs> Mom and dad. <laughs> and there's really no reason to do so if if everything was on the up and up. Like if it was just an affair between two consenting adults and there was nothing to hide, then why is there so much effort to create all these backstories and why is the story shifting? You know, there's just so many different red flags and, and so many vagaries. And, you know, those vagaries, though, lock them into a particular... Right. And that's the point you were making on Twitter, which I thought is, was the excellent point, which is her father is now also locked in. He said whatever he said today. Right. And so now they're stuck with those with those facts. So it, and they're not thinking about the potential ramifications of the testimony that they're giving for other fora, for other places or other, you know, bodies, authorities who would be investigating. Yep, them. There goes the defense this is one that reason. he gave her, you know, 60 grand. <laughs> <laughs> right. As a gift to her for her birthday or whatever. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you're you've locked yourself in to what you said and also what you didn't say. So, um, OK, but uh, King, what did you make of of his testimony? How did he come well, across? Before I get there, uh, let me answer your last question, which ah, was uh -huh. the tax issue hasn't really been raised. Um, they. Uh, they may have some tax returns, but nobody has pointed out anything about them. Uh, nobody has said, look here, you've deducted these personal trips as business expenses. Nobody has said that. Uh, nobody has raised the issue of whether uh, gifts to Fanny in the form of trips or otherwise uh, were or were not on her tax return as income. I don't think they have hers. Uh, they may have got... I'm not surprised yeah. at that. Are you? If I were a judge, I wouldn't have let them ask about that. That's not really relevant. The tax treatment... No, it's not absolutely relevant. not relevant. And somebody, nobody asked, and it's it's never really been an issue. Now, now as to Mr. Floyd... Uh, let me say, before we move off that point, that won't keep tax people like agents like Aaron from being curious about it and from investigating it. It's just that it's not relevant to the issues in front of this. Job. That is true. Uh, 
as to Floyd, uh, he, I agree with Aaron, his, his statement that he had no idea that she was dating uh, Wade at any time uh, really was a bad fact for her. <laughs> Maybe that was because they were leaving the state to have lunch, so you know, he yeah, couldn't keep up. Yeah, it, it, I mean, he, <laughs> she, uh, and, and in contrast, he said when he first got there, uh, before Wade came on the scene, she was dating a DJ, and the DJ was there all the time and leaving his equipment in the way, and, and, and Floyd would have to push it out of the way to walk into the house. <laughs> so the okay. contrast was uh, impressive, to say mm. the least. Uh, as to the cash, I expected him to come and to the stand and say, oh yeah, there was a safe, and she kept her cash there, uh, you know, we talked about the cash or I saw her go in and put the cash in or take it out. I taught her how to do that when she turned yeah. 17 or whatever. But yeah, None right. of that. Absolutely nothing like that. He didn't stumble upon any cash. He didn't see any cash. He, all he said was that uh, it's a black thing. That uh, that's right. how he raised his daughter. That's how most people uh, in the black community growing up live and believe they think you need to have a ready source of cash stashed away somewhere in the house that you could get to if you needed it. So that was all he said. Right. Now, I don't know if that was true or not in terms of whether the black community has that um, practice. But it struck me from sort of a legal and evidentiary point of view that his proper testimony was that he had taught his daughter this practice and that he knew from time to time, because she's a grown woman now, right, through her life, that she was carrying out that practice. And yes, she always kept a certain amount of cash, whatever it is, to his knowledge, in the house, right? He didn't need to go farther and say the reason for that is because this is how black people behave, he he chose to to make that statement and okay he can say that there's nothing preventing him from saying it but i didn't think from an evidence point of view that that was necessary well from an evidence point of view his his uh, evidence was remote as to whether she had any cash you know anytime in at, recent at any past that he didn't. yes right. that's right. what i taught right. her but that's as far right. as it went that's what I'm saying. I thought it would have been more powerful testimony if if he had not said, it, or instead of saying, well, this is something that black people do, if he had said, I had this conversation with, this was a practice I maintained, and I had this conversation with my daughter as she came of age, that this is the way to, you know, to do things, so you always have a safety net, and, you know, blah, 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 whatever the reasons are, and I know she's been doing that as an adult all these years. That, that would have made sense. It, it, it wouldn't matter what race the people were or, or culture or whatever, right? It's just transmission of a practice from father to daughter. That I thought would have been fine. Then you could decide whether you believe that or not believe it, right? But but injecting this extra thing of, well, it's almost like he was testifying as an expert witness about black culture 
to this white judge. And I thought, oh, okay. That, that's pretty much what it was or what it came across as. And uh, to the point where nobody really went after him on cross on any of that. Right, because what are you going to say yeah. about that? No, you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's so, mm, okay. Yeah, it, just, yeah. it strikes me as something you say when you don't have actual facts. Right. That is how an investigator would look at it, for sure. Well, that's how I looked at it. I, I fully yeah, expected him to come in and say, oh, yeah, I, I stumbled into a closet and I found a bunch of cash. Uh, he didn't say right. that. Uh, I expected him to well, come in and say said, that he gave her cash. Like, that's what I would have said. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I gave right. her cash all the time. Like, of course, I'm right. a good father. Yeah. You know, when I came in, I gave her cash. Of course, she had cash all the time. Right. Like, everywhere we went, there was cash. But instead, we had right. to sort of right. It was never a problem. We were always flush. It, right? it, yeah. He 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 kind of debunked that. Had he tried, he said he in in all the time since he moved into the house and later moved out, he has seen her thirteen times for maximum time of visit four hours. Right. So he 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 rarely saw her when she moved out. Yeah, see, that's effective. Those were questions that were brought out by the defense lawyers. How often he had contact yes. with her. Right. And that's an effective way to punch holes in the testimony of a witness who's talking, as Aaron is saying, in such sort of vague, broad generalities. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, how exactly how often did you see her for how long and what days? You know, and then it's what he's seen her 13 times in however many years. How would he know if she had cash in the house right. regularly then? That, that's why it would have been better testimony for him to say this was historically something he taught her. And he knew that whenever he would come and visit her, yeah, she still had, you know, her cash. But, but uh, he, 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 he also clarified that he he didn't even know where she went to live. He, <laughs> so he, he never visited her where she actually lived after she moved right. out, which would have been around February or March of uh, 2021. Okay. All right. Um, how did he seem as a witness? He Just looking on the videos, I mean, the pictures on the internet and the little clips, he seemed in some ways like just a, um, avuncular is a word I've already used, but that, that he just seemed like a nice you know, middle-aged to older gentleman there to support his daughter. Uh, and and I, I, I came away believing he was, he's a sharp lawyer, still sharp. He still has it, uh, mm-hmm. even though he's retired. And it, to a jury, a jury would love him. Uh, so right. he's, he's that kind of person. Right. That's what I thought he came across that way, too. Okay. So that probably helped them a bit then. Hey, Ship. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. I had my mic turned off, but I'm here. Okay. Fantastic. It's good to see you, my friend. So that helped them a bit. I think they had, his testimony helped them more than the governor did, but his testimony also hurt them quite a bit, I thought. Because of the issues you've been pointing out, King. So that what happened after that? Uh, 
unless I'm forgetting something, I think we broke for lunch and then came back uh, after a good long wait to uh, hear Mr. Bradley, uh, who, was, who took up most of the rest of the day. He really looked like somebody who did not want to be there. Oh, no, he did not. <laughs> I felt bad for him, actually, <laughs> in a way. Okay, so um, did they take up all these issues about attorney-client privilege after he got there or while they were waiting on him? No, they waited for him to even open court. And okay. as soon as he took the stand, they launched right into the attorney-client privilege issue. And the way they did it was interesting. Uh, Miss Merchant took the lead for the defense and she established there are many objections throughout all of this but she got him to say uh, first he didn't remember her calling her although she represented that she had they talked on the phone but and then after that they texted and the sum and substance of the texts were that uh, Bradley told Miss Merchant back in September. No, no, not in September. They first made contact in September when uh, she had asked him about uh, some corporate or law partner documents and stuff. But then in January, they reconnected and he told her that his, that Wade, Nathan Wade, had told him that their affair had, had started back when both of them had some association with city judgeships. They'd gone to a city judge or some kind of judge conference out of town, and that's where they met in October 2019. And that's when the affair began. Uh, uh, and maybe before that, back in their judge, uh, back when he was running for judge and uh, I don't remember what her her involvement with being a judge was, but he said he he put it he, he tied it to that period of time. Wade had hired him as a lawyer, uh, a divorce lawyer, 2017 or 18. So it was sometime after he retained Bradley uh, that he admitted to Bradley he'd been having this affair with Fonny. Uh, and that came out through the through the mouth of Miss Merchant, reading texts, and uh, other side objecting. That's privileged. We get we can't put that in evidence yet. We have to see if uh, it can come in under some exception to attorney-client privilege. Uh, he did say, he said yes, that was 
Uh, he said, since I did that, I realized, I found out I made a mistake. I should not have disclosed that. <laughs> he found out he waived his privilege. And the judge was pretty clear. Uh, he was buying the, the uh, uh, state's position that he doesn't have, that is Bradley, has no authority to waive the privilege. So, yes, that's so, right. He doesn't have the authority to waive it, but he opened it. He opened it, and, and, and out, that's so. how Miss <laughs> that's how Miss Merchant got it into the record. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh, she needed to ask a couple more questions, which uh, such as, is this your personal knowledge that they were having an affair? Is this something he told you? And he did he tell you in confidence as your as his lawyer? Uh, questions like that that the judge wanted to hear the answers to so they had they went through that routine uh bottom line so let me ask you a couple of questions were they were wade and bradley friends before he hired bradley to be his divorce lawyer they were partners they were partners before yes they, yeah bradley yeah they, they were sharing office lawyer. space he, uh this is back back then they had not formed a, a formal three man partnership but they each had their own uh pc professional corporation and they were sharing and they were sharing office and fees and expenses so okay. so okay. whenever one of them got a thousand dollars that got split three ways okay. uh, <laughs> so they had a professional relationship it sounds like they were friends too. correct okay and then he hired bradley at some point after that, to also be his personal divorce. Yeah, and, and he remained his personal divorce lawyer uh, all the way through the divorce case filing, which was the day after Wade got hired by uh, the DA's office to be the special prosecutor on the Trump case. And uh, he remained uh, Wade's lawyer until sometime in two, in 2023 when, when uh, he quit the firm and stopped re representing Wade. Okay. So let's make sure so people understand. So for attorney-client privilege to attach, you have to have a lawyer <laughs> and the other person has to be seeking legal advice from that lawyer. Okay. So, and that's, the law's a little bit different everywhere, but those are the basics. If one person is a lawyer and the other person is seeking legal advice from that lawyer, then you have established an attorney-client relationship. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're paying that lawyer. It just does, does not matter, um, really, pretty much anything else. But in this situation, it's all muddied up, right? Because these two guys are friends before they established the attorney-client relationship. And so... Things that Wade told him before Bradley became his lawyer would not be privileged, but things he told him after Bradley became his lawyer could have been privileged. And then you have the further problem that if Bradley did the filing with the court that gave Wade's false answer to the court about any extramarital uh, sexual relations, then there's another kind of way to attack what is otherwise attorney-client privileged information, uh, which is if you're using the lawyer to communicate your statement to a third party, 
the court could be one, or let's say you're using the lawyer to communicate um, contract terms, the contract offer term. If a person uses a lawyer to communicate terms to a third party or information to a third party, then that might not be privileged information. And then you don't have to worry about whether you're invading the attorney-client privilege because it's not privileged to begin with. Uh, and then on top of that, sometimes, especially prosecutors, will try to get the information that is covered by the attorney-client privilege by saying that the client and the lawyer are engaging in what's called crime fraud. Basically, that the, the client is using the lawyer to conduct some kind of improper or even criminal activity. Um, and then the law varies different places as to how much knowledge the lawyer has to have that the activity is criminal. <laughs> um, so, so the judge had to basically ramble through all of those things this afternoon, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yes. And the judge wanted very much to hear all of the evidence as to how Bradley had acquired this information, even though uh, everybody pretended nobody knew what it was. But Miss Merchant <laughs> had, had spilled the beans <laughs> on the record. <laughs> so... Um, and Bradley was adamant it, it only came to him during their attorney-client relationship. It was a privileged conversation. It was related to his work uh, for Bradley as, I mean, uh, for uh, Wade as uh, uh, his divorce lawyer. Uh, he did not give us if he said it, I didn't, I don't remember it or I missed it, uh, a specific time when he learned it, except that it happened after he started representing Wade. Uh, Let me ask you this. Did he say he learned it after he filed the document with he, the court? Said the answer was no. <laughs> he, he did not. He did not say. Uh, the, 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 the document that was filed in the court was filed by the successor lawyer. Oh, I see. Okay. So he, he, he has left the scene. Uh, and he's off the hook for that. He was off the okay. hook for that. Uh, and uh, the only thing he knew that about Miss Willis that other than the contract stuff that uh, relating to the relationship to Wade, he knew of a trip or two the two of them took. And that's for his, his personal knowledge, Correct. right? Like what he saw was, yes. and heard. He didn't claim that was privilege, yeah. but he just, he knew they went right. off to an island somewhere. Uh, that's all he knew. Uh, but see, how can you square that? Did he, did he know that before or after the divorce? Well, it had to be after. He became the divorce the, lawyer. Okay. Because the, they didn't meet until uh, after he'd been hired as a divorce lawyer. Oh, that's right. You're saying he hired him as a divorce lawyer in 2017 or 18. Right. But he didn't file for divorce until when? November of 2019. They filed divorce okay. on the 2nd of November, uh, the day after uh, the contract was signed by Fannie, giving Wade, appointing Wade the special counsel in the Trump case. Okay. All right. So what did the judge let in and what did he keep out? Uh, he let everything in, really, except for what 
what Bradley was told. Okay. Everything that kind of walked up close to that conversation they had, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, he he allowed. But as to what Wade said and uh, anything about it, uh, he kept out. Uh, So the defense lawyers argued, uh, they started, they, they argued two things. Uh, and this is where the nerd part comes in. If you're a legal nerd, start recording this. This was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's already being recorded, yeah. people. You don't, you don't have to record. <laughs> um, Ms. Merchant took the lead. She was asking the questions. So she argued, this has to come in, Judge, under the crime fraud exception to attorney-client privilege. And her argument was kind of garbled, uh, but basically she said, well, look, Mr. Wade filed a false sworn discovery response in the divorce case, which is a crime. Uh, so before okay but did bradley was bradley the one that helped him do that no there was no evidence bradley had helped him do that and 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 there was no evidence tying the um and they probably wouldn't have got it out of this judge anyway no evidence tying the advice which we're not supposed to know what it was to Uh the filing of that false statement uh so But she was saying, regardless, you have a privileged communication and then basically a fraud by the client and you tie them all together and it's crime fraud. And yeah, that's not really how I don't works, know how so. it works either. <laughs> no, I do know how it works, but that isn't it. <laughs> but, but, but whereupon a Trump lawyer stood up and he had a different. He had argument. a different argument and a different case. He had a case out of Ohio okay. mm. uh, that he I hadn't read the case yet, but it's a case out of Ohio, uh, basically that says where an officer of the court uh, or the client. Uh, I don't think, don't even think it has to be an officer of the court where the client takes the stand and commits perjury and says something that is contradicted by what he told the lawyer, the lawyer has an independent duty to correct the record. Well, that's true if you're the lawyer in the courtroom with the client doing that, That, but that's not Bradley's situation. I don't know how far that Ohio case went. It, it wasn't yeah. clear. Uh, there's another argument that if I had been there, I would have made, having tried these kind of cases before, uh, I would have argued very strongly that that information was never privileged. Uh, take a hypothetical. A client comes to you after a car wreck and he tells you I was hurt really bad 
uh, I got hit from the side by this other dude. He's in the wrong. Uh, and I said, well, was it an intersection? He said, yeah. I said, who had the green light? Well, he did, but he shouldn't have hit me. And I, I said, mm. so you had the red light, right? Uh, I said, you understand? I said, you want to sue? Right. You understand when you sue, you're going to have to disclose either in the suit or in answers to interrogatories or deposition. You have to tell the truth and tell them what you just told me. The light was red. You ran, you the, ran red the red light. Right. He says, screw you, King. You're fired. <laughs> You're um, fired. Then he tells, the next, so he tells the next a lawyer a different story. <laughs> and, right. and the issue is the statement that he ran the red light is that intended to be privileged because if you're hiring a lawyer to file a lawsuit for you to file something in the public record you you have to explain to the client most lawyers do that what you tell me is not confidential anymore i have a duty as an officer of the court to put it in the record so that's one of those facts that some courts will say is never intended to be confidential. It's intended to be disclosed as part of the lawsuit you were hired to file. That could have been argued here. What do you think? So, yeah, it's, it's akin to what I was saying before about if you if the client is using the lawyer to communicate information to a third party and you know you're going to do that, like a contract officer or a, a contract offer or filing with the court. Right. Then that's not privileged information. I'll go further purpose. than that. If it's not yeah. privileged information and the lawyer has it and he learns that lawyer number two has filed false no that the client knows is false pleadings in the court and the lawyer is in on it. Uh, there are bar rules requiring lawyer one to report lawyer two to the, to the bar and maybe to the court. If, if you, I would agree with that if you know that lawyer number two knows that the facts are other than what he's representing to exactly. the court. But if that lawyer is in good faith relying on the client and you just know that the client is lying to him, yeah. there's nothing to you, ha you have an there. issue. You, have a, you, you do have a dilemma as to whether it's so outrageous that you have to report. But even, even if you decide you don't have to report, if you're, if you're called as a witness as to what you were given in a non-privileged setting, which is give me the facts that I'm going to go put in your pleading, uh, you can't claim privilege. The client can't privilege, can't, is, should not be able to stop you from giving those facts. Right. So that's, it's interesting because as a defense lawyer, I, I almost never, I did some plaintiff's work, but you know, just a small percentage of my overall practice, this would just never be a problem as a defense lawyer. Right. You just, you would, because you're, you wouldn't be in a situation where the client's telling you things that you're going to convey to the court um, that are where you know that you're going to put them in a pleading, right? It's a different kind of practice. Exactly. But in, in civil practice, yeah. in divorce practice, uh, 
right and things like that and uh, it would be it would be more of a problem, more of a problem yeah. and if, if you've done some plaintiff work like i have uh you've had a lot of lawyers have experience in busting that privilege claim on that very basis mm -hmm. right yeah so well so that's uh but that argument wasn't was raised. not raised and the judge looked to me like from a few reports that I saw that they were kind of all over the place about the law of privilege. But then it seemed to me it kind of worked out that the judge made the right rulings, that he kept out what was privileged and let in what wasn't. He did, but he, he, he was uh, intrigued enough and, and the, <laughs> the defense convinced him to... Uh, Talk to Bradley in camera, which means okay. And in camera means I'm sorry, King. I didn't mean yeah, to interrupt ahead. you. If yeah. you were going to explain, yeah. yeah, in camera, folks, means in private with the judge, not in front of the jury. Was it ex parte in camera? Yes. Okay, so ex parte means one side only. So ex parte in camera means one side goes back in chambers and talks to the judge privately about what the testimony is going well, to be. In, in, and in this case, it's neither side. It's only Bradley. Oh, he didn't because, wow. So this was a defense witness, well, under subpoena to right. them. And he went back with Bradley and his He's lawyer. going back. They're, they're mm -hmm. going to arrange a convenient time to meet uh, next week probably. But he's going he's okay. going back alone with Bradley and he's going to ask Bradley what Wade told him uh, A to Z wow. uh, what what mm. the circumstances mm. were this is dangerous this is dangerous for this judge to he's be doing, doing it and, and the defense <laughs> next he'll be doing court yeah, exhibits and, and I know how that turns and, out <laughs> and the def defense asked him to do it oh the defense yes. asked him. To, to hear him out. Well, because they think once he hears what he has to say, he'll put it on the well, record. Well, once he hears what okay. he, uh, it, there's, whether he puts it on the record or not, it, it, yeah. he can't unhear it. Right. But it's, I, just, uh, I just can't see how it's appropriate it's, for the parties to not know. Yeah. The, this is problematic. But there's another reason why he's doing ex, in camera ex parte with Mr. Bradley, right? Uh this, didn't it blow up at the end about whether or not he had engaged in some misconduct? Yeah, he, that, that's what he's interested in. I'm sure he's, he's interested. <laughs> he's interested in uh, not no. The, he 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 set up the in cameras thing before that stuff at the end about right about yeah. Bradley. But I'm saying he's gonna he, he's probably gonna cover this stuff too. Don't I you think? I doubt it that. Really I don't think so. That 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 was. Oh, did they resolve they that? Was, I I couldn't figure that part it, out. That was. Um, on cross by the state, Miss Cross. Right. Uh, right. She Miss Cross on, on cross. cross got him to admit that he was uh, he left the firm because he was asked to leave leave the firm because he was and he at a time when he was accused of sexually assaulting an employee and sexually assaulting a client. Okay, assault or harass? Assault. Did they say assault. assault? They used the word assault both times. All right. And All right. So. He, he denied it. He, <laughs> of course he, he did. denied it. Right. <laughs> and then the state called two witnesses. One, a, a... Now, wait, 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 King, wait. The 
Did the defense object yes, to this? Yes, they objected to the two witnesses. Did, did they object to even asking these questions? Because I'm not sure that this is relevant impeachment, or a proper impeachment at I all. I don't think they objected to why he left. But, but they wow. did object to both witnesses who were going to testify. Uh, one of them was one of the assault victims, and one of them was an oh, employee who saw the first insult. And uh, they objected and got both of them uh, stricken. On, I guess on so. The- Ship, let me bring you in on that. What in the hell? That's not proper impeachment, do you think? Ship, can you hear us? You got to unmute yourself. Ship, have you abandoned us? Leslie to ship. Oh, he's not taking his speaker thing off. Mm-mm. I'm going to send him a text message. <laughs> All right. So uh, can you tell me if you think this differs from your understanding of the law? But um. It, it, you know, you can't, I was telling people on Twitter, you can't, just because the person's up on the witness stand doesn't mean you can ask them whatever you want about when was the last time you beat your wife and have you stopped kicking it, your it, dog? Like, you, you're not allowed to do that. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it, I forget the term. Uh, prior bad acts. And, and there's another term relating to. Mm-hmm. Uh, extraneous issues, yes. collateral. Coll- collateral, collateral, collateral. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, yep. And that was the grounds for uh, uh, striking both uh, eyewitnesses. Well, I mean, the horse is pretty much out of the barn if you after you've already asked the well, question. He, 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 no, they no what the the collateral uh, issue. On impeachment, extrinsic, it, it, extrinsic it, ex- proof. It, you, is, you, you can't raise an extrinsic, unrelated act to set right. up an impeachment. So, which is what right. they did. They got him to deny it. Yeah. Now they're exactly. going to call they did exactly what the evidence rule. Right. Exactly. Right. He lied on an issue that doesn't have anything to do with this case. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. what they had done. Uh, they did not catch yeah. it in time to stop the denial uh, uh the even raising why were you fired uh but at, when they've tried to bring in the impeachment witnesses uh the judge threw it out yeah well i'm i'm not surprised that they did that because these are rules you learn in evidence right and i've seen twice lawyers try to do this and both times it was prosecutors because they seem to have the view, state court prosecutors, I will say, they seem to have the view that if they know something bad about a defense witness, something that will make them look bad, that somehow that transforms it into evidence that goes to their credibility, <laughs> right? If it, Even though it has yeah. nothing to do with uh, the, the case, that and that doesn't make it impeachment or, or bias evidence. Well, and what they were doing, you know what, I'm going to... I'm gonna... Can I jump yeah. in here?
Sure. I, I don't. I don't think the doctrine of collateral impeachment applies in this kind of proceeding. It certainly applies in front of a jury. Yes. The, the judge can hear it for whatever he wants to hear it for. I do not think the doctrine applies here, and I think it's his inexperience, the judge's inexperience, that led him to the conclusion. Oh, oh, this is collateral impeachment. You never get to do that. That's not true. I don't. I don't think that's well. Let me say this. I'm pretty sure that under the rules of evidence in at least Maryland, that it it's not admissible evidence. This, rules of evidence this don't kind apply. of this the kind of evidence. Of evidence the rules well, of evidence don't that, apply to the, this they're not in full effect. I agree because you're not in a trial proceeding, so you're technically right about that. But the reason that this kind of evidence isn't allowed is because it's highly inflammatory and only marginally relevant. <laughs> but, right? and, 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 and correct. And, and if you had a jury, it's, it's, it's a prophylactic against right. the jury being influenced by something that is of marginal relevance. And, right. is, and, it, and, it, and it leads down rabbit holes. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, it's a disputed fact about a, an a not an irrelevant not an issue. issue, right? right. But, but right. when you're in a when you're proceeding for a judge, yeah. where the rules of evidence don't strictly apply, because you're not talking about guilt or innocence, then I'm 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 not sure. Yeah. And again, though, I think this is judicial inexperience thinking. Oh, that's never allowed, and that's not true. I'm, Chip, well, I'm going to have to. I, right I disagree that. with you here. Uh, we're talking about a hearing that was in the last hour of the second scheduled day, the on, the last day of this that was scheduled and they had nothing going next week. It was going to be over and submitted after today. And as the judge pointed out, when he ruled, he said, if I let you testify, Mr. Employee and, and former client who was assaulted, uh, we, ha we, we have a mini trial on that issue. Uh, right. And, that's the justification, yeah. guys, that, that the, the rules of evidence and the judges use is that it becomes a trial within a trial. And I don't, I don't disagree that it's within the judge's discretion to allow that. But he could have allowed it if he wanted to. It would have been an error in front of a jury. Yes. It's not necessarily error had he let it take place. Yeah. No, I agree with you in a hearing where he's the finder of fact that you're right about that. Um, but you know, I, I've just been struck through my career that this is something that good lawyers know you can't, you really can't do it this way. And the people who always seem to try to do it that way anyway, are always prosecutors. <laughs> and I think, you know what, if you're working that hard to try to discredit a defense witness, because this person is credible and telling the truth and what they have to say undermines your case, maybe that should be making you think twice about your case instead of dredging up this nonsense about this witness. It's curious in this case, Leslie, because this guy, Bradley, didn't say anything bad against Wade. Right. Nothing. Right. Nothing. He said right. he's still friends with him. He said, "Well, that was sad." Yeah, it was. That part was sad. But did you? I don't know if everyone saw this. The the woman cross examining him said, "You know, you're not partners anymore," and he agreed with that. And she said, "And you're not friends anymore." And he just looked at her, and he said, "Well, if he's saying we're not friends anymore, then 
and the, the defense objected to that saying, well, that's, that's not relevant. And the judge correctly in that instance said it is relevant. It goes to bias, whether they're friends or not, right? They were, now they're not, whatever. And so he let that question in and I would have too. And she said, well, you're not, do you think you're still friends with him? And he paused for quite a while before he said, really sad, you know, well, I mean, I thought, I thought, I think I'm still friends with him. <laughs> you know what? I thought, man, this guy, because he wasn't saying stuff that hurt them. And then he got all this dumped on but, him. But, he, and, and, but in his testimony, he did not come down on Wade or Willis. He right. didn't, exactly. he, he didn't say anything contrary to the state's case all he had done was it admit to miss merchant yeah i sent a text i shouldn't have sent (laughs) right exactly so they went after him too hard i i thought but did it come across that way do you think to me it did yes Yeah, yeah they beat it beat up somebody that really was he did his best to protect their side by keeping that evidence out yeah so ultimately, what did you infer that the judge thought of his testimony? Uh, the judge took it for what it was objectively, which is a lawyer's testimony about having a conversation with a client where the client <laughs> is no good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, my. OK. So that's how it ended on this fireworks over this extrinsic proof collateral attack type problem. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay, but they're coming back Tuesday because the judge he wants to hear this testimony from Bradley outside the courtroom. Yeah, he, he's going to hear Bradley outside the courtroom. Uh, they're going to submit some telephone bills that they subpoenaed weeks ago, but just came in mm-hmm. a day or two right. ago. That's always the way that yeah, goes. So, uh, yeah. Other than that, the case is submitted. And they're gonna, they're gonna... Well, I don't understand, Ship. What do you make of that? Why you're? It's a like as you say properly. It's a judge proceeding. Why would he have to hear it in camera? He may just want to be protecting whatever the the subject matter is from public disclosure. For uh, not, Bradley not, and no, right, yeah. right. Well, yes. Yeah, so if it's if it's free claim privileged information then what he will say is look as a as as the fact finder but as a judge if i determine that it is privileged information i'll set it aside and not consider it even though it comes out but i'm not going to expose it to the public because that well that makes sense for in camera but ex parte i mean it seems like the side the litigants should be able to know the litigants aren't quiet uh other, other, <laughs> the one litigant is uh, yeah, other, other than Wade, the litigants aren't the client. Now, maybe Wade's lawyer can come. Uh, they didn't say. Right. Yeah, because you still do have the continuing privilege problem there. But you know, you know, I, I have a don't question, like it when I, the judge knows facts that you don't know about your own case that he's using to rule. I have a question, though, King. Why is it, why didn't Wade's testimony and Willis's testimony yesterday opened the door to the defendants being, the defendants asking the court to issue a subpoena for her banking records that would establish whether or not she did withdraw. You know, they can now total the travel records and with a round figure saying, look, if you look at all of the expenses that he charged on his card 
And according to both their testimony, she supposedly reimbursed him for roughly half of those expenses. That amount is X thousands of dollars. She's testified that she that she she, she compensated him in cash without being specific about where the cash came from. We think you know the answer to whether or not that explanation is truthful or credible is in her banking statements. Does she show yeah, right. Does she show cash withdrawals that would account for the alleged repayment? If she doesn't, then her testimony is false. His testimony is false in game. game. I, uh, because I think uh, she told the story in, enough in, in, in uh, vaguely enough. Yeah, enough. <laughs> she told the story vaguely enough to where. Uh, no matter what he finds, no matter what the defense finds in her bank account, she's going to say, well, the cash was already there. I didn't need to take it out of the bank. I remember I, had, I talked about campaign funds. I, you know, I had cash throughout, so I don't need to take it out. So it's not going to show up. So, yeah, I, th I think the bigger that number is, though, the less credible it, it, that it's is. It's yes. not that. I agree. It's not that big. It's it's less than twenty thousand. No. Yeah, that's what I figured it is last night. It's got to be like between eighteen and twenty-four. I figured so. Yeah. Well, the, you know, I mean, I, I I saw reporting that you know the, the it was a week in Napa Valley. It was you know the the cruises were six eight thousand dollars each. You know, I think that ultimate number, and, and they were going every three weeks over a period of time, that number is going to be pretty big. And and that, and that's my point is, though, until that answer came out yesterday, until that, yeah. and, and, and one, one of the lawyers laughed when it came out, the judge admonished him, says, you do that again, you're going to be out of the courtroom. <laughs> they, yeah, well, people, you can't do that. When you're a lawyer, yeah. you you can't react to people's testimony. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would expect that, that somebody took pen to paper and said, yeah. let's look at these receipts again and come up with that total number and then divide it in half and say, okay, that's the cash she has to account for or she has to stick by her story that oh, I just keep that much cash in a coffee can in my strong box that my dad gave me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm looking at some of the questions that we got and here's one King. This person says, can we ask about Miss Cross's cross of Bradley near the end where she told the judge that Bradley was a liar? Did that happen? Did the, did this prosecutor tell the judge the witness was a liar? Uh, what, where she was going was the, uh, his denial that he had assaulted anybody. Oh, okay. So she asked that he denied it, and did did she actually use the word liar? Yeah, she did, and, and that was her oh. that was her justification for calling the last two witnesses, and she lost for she lost that fight. That, I see. You know, okay, you, you set up a a, a faux impeachment. Uh, right. because you raise something that's totally collateral, uh, having nothing to do with the issues in the case, and then you impeach him on that non-issue, uh, get him to deny it, and then impeach him. That That's where the judge drew, drew the line. Okay, so just so folks understand, so a lawyer might tell the judge 
that, Your Honor, we believe that was a lie, right? That that answer was a lie. And I have witnesses here that can prove that it was a lie. That is, that's perfectly valid conduct for a lawyer. It it's really wouldn't be proper for a lawyer to say to the witness that you're a liar or that was a lie. So she didn't do that, did she? I don't think so, no. She, she, okay. she was talking she to told the, judge. the judge. Yes. Okay. So that's, it's appropriate for her to say that in order to try to persuade the judge that she gets to prove that now, he ultimately didn't let her do that, but there's nothing wrong with her saying that she thinks the witness has, has been untruthful, but you can't do that to the witness directly. So, okay. That, 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 and then, that, which raises a question. Let's, let's assume she's trying to impeach him and, and destroy his credibility with the judge. I'm not sure I heard anything out of his mouth that they they thought was untrue or not credible. Right. The only thing that he did was he sent a text to Miss Merchant and she had the text there and read it to the judge. Um, right. And he shouldn't have done that. That's a breach of his client's but, privilege. But, but okay. that doesn't make him a non-credible witness. Right. I agree. It doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. Now, one of the first questions that we got, so let's circle back to this, because <laughs> all of this stuff we've been talking about, and sometimes this is how hearings go, right? The lawyers and the judge can't really stay on the actual issues <laughs> that are the ones that are really legally um, at, at issue. And this hearing had a lot of that feel to me because really what the judge has to decide is whether their personal relationship existed, whether Miss Willis was getting a benefit, a financial benefit from that through this contract to Waits office. But most of this stuff we're talking about here really is, is, is like a food fight on the one hand and on the other is really only going to questions of whether her explanation for the money makes sense or not? Uh, I think you're wrong. Oh, yeah. Why? Because I think today the biggest issue that would be most certain to kill uh, Fanny and Wade as prosecutors of this case would be right. hard evidence they lied in court filings. And both of them are now being accused of doing that. Uh, in filing for this judge to explaining yeah, the, or defending both, the motion? Both of them have said right. that the affair didn't start until February, March, April of 2022 after Wade had been hired on this case. The but. Right. Well, that's why I said the first point is whether they were having the affair. Well, the quite, the big right. the issue they've raised is when did it begin? Right. And here you have Wade's former law partner, former lawyer, texting Miss Merchant, saying that affair started in 2019, which is consistent with the first witness who testified. Right, which was her friend. So, right. so if exactly. you've got. The if the judge believes those people's testimony and he lets in uh, Bradley's testimony and uh, 
he can he can easily find, and he should find, that both Wade and Willis uh, filed false, uh, made false representations in court more than one occasion. They've lied under oath. They are off in this, in this proceeding. But did he say anything about that? He did not say it, but that's where the defense is going. I see. Okay, so that leads me to my next question, which is, did he tell them he wanted post-hearing briefings like suggested yesterday? Yeah, and this is a circumstance where we've all heard judges make determinations along the lines that say, you know, that the Bradley and, and the First Lady don't have any justification to lie. Right, what's their motive Wade for lying? and right. Willis yep. are motivated to lie because... Right. Of the consequences of, of the truth, the alternative being true. So, did he say he wanted briefings uh, on the issues, or at all? He, or? he he did say he'd like to see briefings on the attorney-client privilege issue. Uh, whether he wants brief on everything else, I don't know. Okay. All right. So, but you said you thought the defense, that's where they were going. What, like in their summation, is he going to hear arguments from them? I, next I, week I heard the evidence and I heard the arguments and that is definitely where they're going. All right. So they're at, they affirmatively are asking him to disqualify them on the basis that they were not truthful in this proceeding. That they committed crimes. They committed crimes. And, and uh, despite that, they are representing the state in pursuing defendants on the same crimes. Wow. Did you think the evidence warranted Leslie, that are you, strong of Leslie, a are you there? You, you, nobody's hearing you say anything. And you don't, doesn't appear that you have a mic. I, I, I heard you. Yeah, I can hear both of you too. Aaron, can you hear me? I'm not hearing Leslie. So uh, maybe my problem. Yeah, I'll I drop off and come back. Yeah, yeah, drop off ship and come back. So did you think the evidence warranted that? would warrant that conclusion king uh, it's it's a coin toss if you don't uh, if you exclude Bradley if you allow that in I think it's a slam dunk for the defense mm -hmm. that they that they lied about to the judge about when their affair started and that she's benefiting or not benefiting from yeah. The yeah, but the, the fact that they lied, the fact that on, yeah. on the record, uh, they uh, they could themselves be subject to criminal prosecution. At the same time, <laughs> they're trying to prosecute right. uh, the former president of the United States on the same crime. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. And how did the judge seem to be taking well, that? Uh, they didn't argue that. I'm just, I'm just I read the briefs. Oh. And I heard, heard yeah. the case. And that yeah. is, A, number one, the main horse that the defense is riding. Uh, they're okay. also going through the conflict issues. Uh, but they would very much like a finding that these two lied. Okay. And are you still of the view, based on what you saw today, that you were yesterday, that he's not really going to go there, the judge? I unless he's convinced what well, that's an interesting question in light of what I heard today. Let's assume right. that the judge meets with Bradley in camera, uh, ex parte 
And here's the whole story. And it's damned convincing. He, he convinces the judge that indeed Wade and his paramour lied and lied on the record, lied under oath time and time again. Right. And put the state through the misery of having to try this. Now, let's assume he decides there's no legal way to put that in evidence. <laughs> right. What does he do? I, I've always said that there's an easy out, which is appearance of conflict. Yeah. Right. Disqualify them because of the appearance without making a finding one way or the other on the lies. On the lies and whether there's an actual conflict. Right. Just, okay. just by saying so, that... that the fact of the admitted affair and the admitted credit card receipts creates an appearance of conflict. That's the easy out for the judge. Okay. I agree. So what is, do we think makes sense in terms of the disqualification? So both one, if one, which one, I see people saying, well, if she's disqualified, her whole office is disqualified. And what, so what's the thinking on that? An argument like, because it's not a case where like they have privileged information and the law firm is therefore disqualified because the partner knows things about, they're now suing their former client, right? And they had this client for a long time and suddenly they've decided to switch sides. And so the whole firm gets disqualified in that situation. That's an example where it makes sense to disqualify the whole office. The theory that makes sense to me, but this is the only one I can think of, to disqualify the whole office is that it's just it just looks so bad that the public can't have confidence that this office is prosecuted. Now, I, actually, I think it's statutory. I, I remember reading an analysis oh. that says by statute in the state of Georgia, if the DA is personally disqualified, the entire office is disqualified as a result. Okay, so but that's going to be the same public policy, right? That is just it just reeks if the the actual district attorney <laughs> gets disqualified. So we'll just boot the whole office out, start over with a new office. All right, well that makes sense. It, it, it's, it's actually not a new office. I think there's a a state body, maybe under the AG. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly who's in charge, but a uh, there's a slate of independent prosecutors that mm -hmm. that some way or another would come in and take over the case, evaluate the case, yeah. uh, see who it should be shipped. Independently evaluated. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. That was, I was surprised, but a case I talked about last night, that Maryland had a similar, I was, this is the first time I'd learned about it when I was using it in this case, because I researched it, but the same kind of thing. There was a procedure for the attorney general's office to step in in that situation. And that's what we did in that case. So, um, okay, so Georgia has a, a plan for that. Well, um, what's your gut instinct, King, watching the judge? Let's say he says there's an appearance problem. Will he disqualify them both? I think he has to look, uh, uh, do both. I, I, he, he might be able to justify just Wade, but I doubt it. Uh, I, I don't, that's illogical. If he's if he's inclined to leave Willis alone, 
then I think he's got to find there may be evidence that would lead me in another direction, but I can't consider it. Therefore, uh, defense motion denied. Okay. I, I, Last night, you, yeah, I, I you think, were leaning for... Let me mention something here. Go ahead. Yeah, I go think ahead. in the back of his mind, even if, even if he comes to the conclusion that King mentioned that, you know, I, I, I believe the story, but under the rules of evidence, I can't get it in the record. I still think in the back of his mind, he has got to be considering the reputation of the judiciary of the state of Georgia. And that this has played out as a farce before the entire country. And the people behind this have beclowned themselves in the manner in which they've handled themselves. Spectacularly. And, and the only way really to rescue the reputation of the state's criminal justice system is what I mentioned last night. If this case is strong enough, it doesn't matter who the prosecuting office is. Right. It'll hold up under second review. If it's not, it won't. Yeah. Well, that's where I was going with King, because King, last night, it sounded like you thought he, this judge might have trouble getting himself to disqualifying them, perhaps for his own career or professional reasons. In, uh, he's, his instinct, instinctively, he's against this disqualification. He's in favor mm -hmm. of giving all the benefit of the doubt to the state and whoever the state wants to and the the people elected to pursue the case. But he's heard enough in this in these two days, and he's going to hear more when he talks to Bradley. Uh, <laughs> that uh, ship may be right. He he may uh, he may he may decide even if he can't figure out how to get Bradley's evidence in. Uh, he he still has that uh, golden ring to grasp, which is appearance of conflict. Mm -hmm. right. uh, you know, and he could easily go that way. I think I still think it's fifty fifty. Well, this was a question that was asked that I don't know the answer to because I don't know really any Georgia law on this point. Which is, could this be appealed? Do we think interlocutory? No. I, I, I come down hard, no. Okay. What do you think, Ship? All right. Ship? Yeah, I think it's a it's a discretionary judgment on a record that he makes, the, and the appeals court is not going to review a different record. And I think the standard would be I mean, assuming that the you know standards of review are the same in you know Georgia state courts as they are in federal courts, the standard review would be abuse of discretion. And, and I yeah. don't think a three judge panel under the record would be inclined to say that he you know acted beyond his or that he abused his discretion. I don't think that I don't right. think that take. Well, that's, that's very possible. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but, I but tend to have state, the same the view. The state is the aggrieved party, and the state is right. losing the prosecutor in the jurisdiction where the crimes were allegedly committed. Right. Well, that's where I was going to go with it, which is I'm trying to remember in my Maryland case if there was a statutory like right of appeal on this kind of ruling. So it, it general applying general appellate principles, the answer is 
probably no, but let's say with the caveat that there might be some Georgia specific statutory law that might make it appealable. So that would have to be researched. Aaron, did you want to jump in here? Did you have anything else you wanted to comment on from your perspective as the investigator? Well, I was just sort of wondering what the judge's view would be. From my view, it, I don't think anyone can be clear whether they broke the law or not. Right. I agree. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, you know, I don't want to say there's no, there's no conflict. And then six months from now, it proves that she's, up to her eyeballs and corruption and being indicted herself, that would not look good for me either. So I, I just sort of think the easiest thing to do would be just to say, well, I can't, you know, I'm not going to take anyone's word for it. I'm just, it just looks like it's bad. Um, and that's, so, you know, I'm not going to make any determination about any of this stuff. That, that seems to me the easiest way to go in all this. Cause I, I'm looking at this thinking, this is all very suspicious. I cannot tell. You know, and I think the judge, at least in federal courts, they would always sort of side with the prosecution mostly on, you know, these these things up until a point. But this seems really, really suspicious. Right. But like we were saying earlier, but it's not conclusive by any stretch of the imagination based on what we know so far. So I agree with you. But, yeah, I wonder if it will would enter the mind of this judge that what will happen if a year from now, <laughs> Fanny gets charged with whatever, X, Y, Z, right? But, you know, by then, maybe so much water will be under the bridge. We'll see. Did you guys want to talk for a second about what happened in New York to the former president today? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I will say I think that is probably a violation of the Eighth Amendment. Um, ban on excessive fines. Does anybody disagree with that? Uh, what we're talking about is this New York judge sticking uh, Trump and his businesses with a $340 million, isn't it, dollar fine? $340, dollars you know. uh, $364, I think, was the number I read. Yeah. Okay, $364. Uh, Eighth Amendment is the start. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the reason I mentioned that is because one of the questions we had, because people were hoping we'd talk about this, is whether or not he could take that case to the Supreme Court. And I was explaining that, well, to take a state court case to the U.S. Supreme Court can be done, but you have to have a federal claim or right or statute or constitutional federal federal constitutional claim. Right. So the Eighth Amendment would give him that if we think that that applies. I personally do. What do you guys think? Well, it's a civil case, so I think that the only way it gets there is after the highest appeals court in New York, which I think is called the New York Court of Appeals, after they review it and make a decision. Then it's their decision that actually gets appealed. Yeah, I, I think Ship's right. She, right. He's got to go. He's got two steps of appeal at, in the New York courts before he can jump to the Supreme Court. Right. I wasn't saying he could jump to the Supreme Court. The question is, can he ever get to the yes, Supreme Court? Yes, he can. Court? But he, he's and got to go. To, yeah, he, he can if he's got a federal he's issue. Got, he's got right. to go to the New York Supreme Court and then the New York Court of Appeals, which is the top court. And uh, his, the first issue is, does he have to post a bond? 
Right. And what if he doesn't? Uh, and what if he can't? Can he? Well, apparently today there was a, a merger approved of two companies, one of which was Truth Social. Mm -hmm. Truth Social. And Trump's mm -hmm. stake in Truth Social as of today is valued at $4 billion. <laughs> so maybe he's like, bon schmond. <laughs> Bring is, it on. Is that babe. under the <laughs> Trump org umbrella? I don't know the answer I to that. I think he's got a personal, wasn't he personal, got a personal stake in Yeah, I think it's both, personal and ah, his business. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so he could post. And only one party has to post if they cover the whole amount, right? So Somebody has to theoretically come up with cash uh, or property or, give, or bond. Give, get right. a court to approve a property bond. But if right. it's cash, um, if they... Well, you know what? This judge found that Mar-a-Lago was worth $18 million. <laughs> <laughs> There's part of it. <laughs> All right. So, so, um, so I haven't been following that case close enough to know if there's any other federal issue. If it's only state court issues, then he can certainly appeal up through the state New York state court system to take it to, to the Supreme Court of the United States, though, which was the question. There has to be some kind of federal issue. So you could maybe do possibly a due process, definitely Eighth Amendment, maybe a uh, substantive due process. That's one of the hardest arguments to make in federal court. But um, so the answer is maybe on whether he could go to the Supreme Court for that one. He's he's got all kinds of issues to raise in certainly in New York uh, appeals courts. And right. uh, and he should win. He should get this thing tossed out. Uh, which one in Georgia? The New York. My mm. my question is, how many how many companies are going to be leaving in the meantime? <laughs> what for fear that they'll get prosecuted for the same thing? I mean, they're not going to, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think the answer is zero because you know the, sta the statute <laughs> they're not the statute that was used it, it does exist, but you know I, I heard a you know an analysis of it analysis of it on a podcast basically this statute exists for litigation between private litigants not right. to be enforced by the attorney general and it had never and, been used by the attorney general to be enforced and, in and it's, it's, it's a consumer protection statute uh, these banks not a commercial yeah, entity these banks that were statute. supposedly victims are not consumers right and weren't even victims, apparently. We're not victims. So, certainly yeah. weren't consumers. Right. And they denied they were victims. So it, it, it's got problems. Yeah, those would all be state court arguments, though, right? right? And, yeah. and the state courts have got to do something. Because if they don't, they will lose some business. I'm, I'm hearing... So that's, that I'm is hearing actually grapevine that there are companies thinking seriously about moving well and i think actually that's a great point king you know i was thinking of the fact that it had never been used before it was used here only to single out trump therefore it would never be used again but 
if it's validated by the Supreme, by the courts well, and of New York, money in their pocket, then, then, yeah. then everybody's at risk if you end up on the wrong side of the AG or a, or a county DA. And it, because this is this is the, oh no, this was this was the state AG, not the not the Manhattan District Attorney. That's correct. Right. Um, yeah, right. so yeah. you never a company might not ever know when they end up on the wrong side of the AG and find themselves targeted with this kind of uh, effort. And the government loves schemes like this that put money in their pockets. And that was one of the other questions we got was, well, if the banks weren't victims, who gets the money? <laughs> the government gets the money, all that fine money. Goes to the state of New York. Yeah, good. So, yeah, King, you may be right that the New York business community won't be so happy with I mean, that. Don't kid yourself. There are these, these uh, state-level uh, cases of targeting big businesses, big bad businesses, uh, kind of go in waves. And you yeah, get a true. series of them, and then they'll kind of die away, and then they'll come back, depending on who's in who's in office. Uh, and, and rotate by industries, and, healthcare and one can, time, and banks. Yeah, the I can tell and, you the, yeah. the corporate uh, CEOs and their corporate lawyer uh they look at that stuff carefully. They're watching it. Right, because they have to, right? Because their underwriters are looking exactly. at it and their auditors are looking at it. They know they know where to stay away from. They they know about the the venues in this country that are full of trial lawyers that are gonna take as much as they can. <laughs> uh, I mean that's they, these yeah. are not secrets right and they're sophisticated Thank players you. so yeah okay well we're getting close to the end here so king let me ask you um to wind us down with is there anything going to happen on tuesday in this disqualification case that uh, that'll be interesting enough for people to watch or is it effectively over with now uh they're going to produce the phone records i think it's going to be ministerial I don't, okay. if, if there's going to be argument, uh, I missed it because I, okay. I uh, but I'll let you know, Leslie, if I was wrong. Okay. Can you, is, is it possible to check that docket? Is it publicly? No, it must I be. don't have access no? to it, but, but there are some, right. I'll see if there I are can, some reporters yeah. who keep up with it. So. Yeah. I think actually I, um, signed up for that. So I will check that and see if maybe the docket will tell us if there's going to be oral argument on Tuesday. If so, I'll tweet it out and let everybody know. So, okay, guys. Well, thanks as always. Ship your um, uh, microphone issue. It was much better tonight. It was greatly appreciated. I, I was driving, so I was not able. That's when I wasn't participating. I was just listening, but uh, not using. Not you weren't not, pumping iron in the not car. Not using over the ear ear headphones. I think is is a, a big improvement. I still did not have time to set up the mic tonight, but uh, uh -huh. I'm just I'm just using uh, ear ear pods right now, which is simpler. Okay. Well, all is forgiven. So uh, I will let you guys all go, and you know, we'll when the next thing happens we'll meet again good night all good night thanks aaron bye
Bye, ship. Bye, King.